you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Your words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to collinslaststand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 102. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris, next generation Raygun. Chris, how are you today? I'm pretty good. It's a good day. It is. It's an exciting time <laughs> for all of us. The PlayStation 5 has been revealed. The box has been revealed. The games, many of the games have been revealed. We have much to discuss today. Yeah. Much to discuss. I don't know that I expected to see so much, actually. I'm pretty impressed with this showing. We're going to talk about it in just a moment, but just to welcome everyone. Sacred Symbols is our weekly PlayStation podcast. It goes live each Friday on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand and Monday on free feeds. If you want to get it early and ad free on Patreon, go over there and support us. Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. Doing so not only gets you ad free early access, but exclusive access to Sacred Symbols Plus, our supplemental podcast that we do each week. The ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas. You can get your name in the credits and more. Sacred Symbols Plus, speaking of which, last week, Chris, you did a Destiny 2 Sacred Symbols Plus, and you did it solo. And I got to say, the response to this has been overwhelmingly positive. That's awesome. In, in, in fact, ubiquitously pro- positive. People even have been saying that they just want to hear more of you and you alone, <laughs> which uh, I don't blame them. 
uh, for that. I suppose I suppose Destiny is is a is a particularly strong wheelhouse of mine. Yeah, we had you. I think that's the second one we had you do alone, right? Because you did the Doom Eternal yeah. one alone as well. So people are getting a little more used to it, but they uh, they demand more Chris Raygun, and we will certainly deliver that in the future. Next week, Sacred Symbols Plus, which I'm going to be recording this week because I'm moving into my new house next week, so I don't won't have the opportunity to record, but we're going to still have the shows going live as usual. Um, I actually have a black female gamer named Mama Micah that's going to come on the show. She actually DM'd me on Twitter. We follow each other on there. She's a YouTuber, and she wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on in the world, and I wanted to invite her to do that and to kind of talk about the viewpoint of a black gamer, the viewpoint of what's going on in the world from a black gamer and the industry and all the rest. So I think we're going to have a really productive and interesting conversation there. So that'll be the next episode of Sacred Symbols Plus. And just to remind everyone, Twin Breaker, our game is out. You can buy it on PS4 and Vita. It's crossed by $9.99. The physical copies of the game are no longer available, but if you bought one, they are shipping. And we will have more information on ports of the game soon, including to Switch, Xbox One, and PC. Now, Chris, before we get into the news of the hour, and then all of the rest of the news that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. We have a couple of notes from the audience that I wanted to investigate. Anthony Wright wrote into us on Patreon, just like all of you out there can. He says, what's up, Cuckmaster Colin and cold-blooded Chris? That's not very nice. Yeah. Just a quick one. There's been a lot of talk about how popular the Patreon has become, and I couldn't be happier as I've been a sub from the beginning. My question is this. Whatever happened to getting video once we pass a certain number of subscribers? It's obviously not a necessary thing, but I really miss watching episodes and seeing the interactions. Any chance of this still of getting this? Thanks for all that you do and keep fucking that bird until it's dead. That's well, that's horrendous. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, Chris, what do you before I get into all of that? What do you think about doing the show on video? Is that something you even want to do? Is that something that's interesting to you? I mean, the allure was a lot stronger when we were in the same, you know, part of the world. <laughs> You know, like, I feel like a a webcam show that everybody's doing now is just sort of, it it just sort of, whenever I see a podcast that I'm used to seeing in, like, studio, and then, like, obviously with the, all the current events happening, everybody's kind of doing these, like, really low-quality webcam versions of the video podcast, and they just, they feel like a downgrade to me, even if it's not necessarily functionally all that different. If it's demanded heavily, I wouldn't mind doing it, although I would have to shower (laughs) before I do this. Yeah, Uh, you'd have to look at least presentable for all the people out there. So what Anthony is referring to is that some time ago, before we launched Sacred Symbols Plus, I put up a goal on Patreon that if we passed, I think, 5,500 subscribers, we would do the show on video as well. And we never actually hit that goal when it was up. And so I removed it. And then when we launched Sacred Symbols Plus, the show, the Patreon blew up. Now we're at almost 9000 patrons. So my argument here, Anthony, is that the, the goal wasn't hit under the under the parameters that we set out. It was then hit later on when it was removed because of something else. So this was pretty transparent. I did write about this on Patreon. I understand if some people missed it. I'm not necessarily opposed to doing some sort of video show, but I just don't think it really adds anything to the show. And the show is heavily edited like i think all pay or, or all podcasts should be yeah because i don't think you should have all these ums and uhs and mouth noises and dead space or whatever and we well, should have dead space but not dead air in your podcast so it would just look weird i've been thinking about ways to make this happen on patreon be, or on uh, youtube because we put the show on youtube and it's just basically the audio only with a still image and i was thinking like could we edit it so that it has like trailers and like what we're talking about and whatever. And I'm, uh, 
I just don't know that this is worth the effort. I do run a business, do want to make a profit. I don't know that I'm going to be making a profit by putting in all this extra work and hiring this extra help that would be needed to do it or giving Dustin more money to do that. So I don't think you're going to see that anytime soon. We are an audio podcast, but I do want to say that we're open to all suggestions. And if more people want to see it, you know, give us your ideas and let us know what you want to see. Fats Beardo wrote into us, Chris, and said, catheter Chris and colostomy Colin. Getting a little disgusting around here. If you could take a pill that meant you never had to eat again, would you? You take a pill once a day. It contains all the calories, protein, fat, vitamins, etc. you need. It's cheap and there's no negative side effects, but you can never eat again. Once you start the pill, I hate this question. Yeah, no. From Fats Beer. Why first, would I never want to eat again? <laughs> yeah, eating is f- good. What about all the delicious foods that you like that give you life? Like, I know, no, I, know. <laughs> I would hate that. I would oh, like, be, I would like to take a pill and never have to eat again. You know, that'd be cool. So I wouldn't be like, you know, sitting and like potentially starving and then like forgetting to eat and only remembering when my when my nervous system begins to shut down and fail me. But, you know, I I, I would still want to eat as like a leisure activity, at least just to Definitely. indulge in the flavor. Like if I could never eat again. Nah, fuck that. Yeah, it'd be awful. I mean, I'm thinking Fats Bureau that the exact opposite is true, that I would like a pill that meant I could eat whatever I want, however I wanted to eat it. And there would be no ramifications for it. That's a tantalizing pill. Yeah. That the pharmaceutical companies out there can make. But a pill that gave me all the nutrients I needed, but I, w- I would just take one pill a day. I mean, that's that sounds horrible to never eat a piece of pizza again or a cheeseburger or drink like a Coke or a milkshake or have pasta again. It's like, what? Yeah. Well, that, who would that be tempting to unless we were in some sort of famine situation? <laughs> yeah, no, that doesn't sound good to me at all. Fats, I think you need to rethink your inquiry. Fucking you can try weird again question by somebody named Fats Beardo. I know you would expect more from him, but that's why expectations let us all down all the time. <laughs> all right, Chris, let's talk before we get into the news. Let's talk about what we're playing. It says here you're playing Destiny 2. We're going to talk about Destiny 2 in a little while about everything they revealed. But what have you been playing within that world, that universe? Yeah, so they uh, they just started this new season, season, I think either 10 or 11. I'm not sure on the numbers, but it's season of arrivals. So there's like a bunch of new activities. There's like new uh, new quests to go after a bunch of new stuff. A lot of interesting lore stuff happening, and I'm pretty, pretty about it. I, I like the way this season is starting so far. Last season was particularly bad, I would imagine, in large part because a lot of the dev time was going to either the seasons leading into the expansion proper or just the expansion itself. But I'm having a good time. Like Sweeney and I have been playing pretty much every day, and it's been a treat. Seeing a little bit too many grenade launchers in in PvP, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll let it, I'll let it slide as long as it slides. Yeah, we I want I'm interested. So again, just to reiterate, you did a Sacred Symbols Plus episode for about an hour all about the new Destiny 2 content. Yeah, we'll talk about that uh, more acutely in the coming moments after we get through all of the stuff in the PS5 reveal. Mm-hmm. So be patient for that if that's what you want to hear. For me, I've been playing the Division 2, which I talked about extensively. I just think that's a really great game. I played it when it came out. I played it again last summer. Started it up again because it seems so timely since it's about a decaying United States <laughs> and a virus going around killing everyone. Yeah, but it's a really fun game. I didn't download the New York DLC yet, but I did have the. I didn't remember buying this, but I guess I did. I have the season pass, so I get all the access to other stuff. Oh, nice. The interesting thing is, is that I unlocked a trophy from the New York DLC, even though I didn't buy it. 
which is strange. Hmm. So it's got to be in the update itself. But I've been playing that. And then uh, I've been playing the original Mass Effect on PlayStation 3, which I mentioned last week. We're going to do a knockback episode of that. Me and my brother next week. It's good. It's a fun game. I'm, I'm getting sucked into it. It does start slow. It's definitely not aged very well, but I do love all the RPG elements in the game. And I personally like driving the Mako around the uh, different planets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's I don't fun. mind it. I, I, yeah. I like uh, well, at the time specifically, and I think still, if we're being really honest, it, it doesn't control particularly well, but it's also kind of fun. Because it's just a mess. I, I think it's fun in a way that they probably didn't intend it to be. Because it's just this physics monstrosity that you just pilot around these really not forgiving terrains. And uh, it's, it's fun to just watch this hulking thing just sort of flop around like a, like a leaf. Yeah, it's also fun to just... Like, the game doesn't look very well a lot, but then when you're in space, the game starts looking really good. Oh, yeah. If you like, if you look into the skies and on the horizons of various planets or moons that you're on, and you see, like, binary stars and, like, really nearby moons or planets, and I don't know, the game looks really good from that perspective. It, there's a lot of work that went into those different stages that I think is a little underappreciated. I was always a little confused why people were so hard on that particular aspect of the game, and they obviously removed it from two and three so they did listen but i guess i'm in the minority that enjoyed that kind of stuff yeah so that is what i've been playing recently but i am as i said earlier in the midst of a move i'm moving at the time we're recording this i'm moving in like 72 hours into my new house so. oh wow nice yeah so just a lot of things to take care of right now <laughs> i'm packing my stuff up too oh excellent yeah when do you move 27th but i gotta like fix up some of the walls and like you know right do a little bit of a repair so i get my money back yeah you don't want to lose your deposit no that's always like hidden money that you forget you have if you live in an apartment long enough you're like oh i forgot i had this several <laughs> thousand dollars that yeah the landlord has been hanging on to so well we'll be keeping an eye on chris's moving situation as well of course now chris the episode today is going to revolve largely around the playstation 5 of uh, 5 event i was trying to say five and event at the same time and it came out as vive and uh, I'm curious, before we get into all the exact things that were announced and all of this, what did you think about the overall presentation? How did you feel about Sony kind of coming out their first foot forward with the games, with the console, with the presentation itself? We really otherwise other than getting some wired articles and some innuendo, some rumors. And then, of course, Mark Cerny's power hour. We haven't really seen anything of these games mm -hmm. or of these uh, of this platform. No specifics, really. So. I'm curious what you thought about the overall presentation, which lasted a little over an hour and which people can go check out on uh, PlayStation's YouTube channel and elsewhere. Talk to me a little bit about it. Yeah, so I thought it was a, a pretty strong showcase. I think uh, it started a little bit kind of like sawtoothed a little bit where it was like, OK, that was OK. And it's like, oh, that's cool. And it's like, oh, that's all right. It's like, oh, that's cool. And it kind of seesawed back and forth between that in the beginning. And then there was that really weird like middle part where they were like 4k blu-ray ray tracing and it was like okay this kind of belongs at the end but as the show went on i think it got stronger generally like it, they definitely ended on a pretty high note with uh several consecutive like genuinely pretty good showcases and uh they showed gameplay which is good uh in some cases like pretty extensive gameplay in the cases of like ratchet and clank and gran turismo and uh even some of the more 
even some of the smaller games that people weren't expecting to see had a decent amount of uh, gameplay behind it. So I, I thought it was a pretty strong showcase. And we saw the machine like I, I thought we would. So Yeah, so you were totally right about that. And I was wrong. I didn't think that we would see the box. I'm trying to find... Yeah, so I said the console will not be shown. You said that the console will be shown. Mm-hmm. So that's... I'm going to write this down here. That's one... I'm going to put Chris on my piece of paper. Colin... You definitely got more right, underneath. like 100%. And then, <laughs> that was the one I got right. So oh, just to go over the, the, the predictions we made on Sacred Symbols Plus, Chris said the console will be revealed, that Call of Duty will get PlayStation exclusive content, so we didn't see that. No Ape Escape. Chris thought we would see an Ape Escape remake. Backwards compatibility, none of that. And then Resistance Collection or Resistance Trilogy launch title. So you got one point. Yeah. I said that Gorilla will reveal SOCOM as a launch game. That didn't happen. Polyphony will reveal Gran Turismo 7 as a launch game. So I'm going to get a half a point for that. Yeah. Because I don't think we got the launch stuff. Blue Point will reveal Demon's Souls remake will launch in 2021. We didn't get a release date for that either. So I'm going to give a half a point for that. Insomniac will reveal Ratchet and Clank will be a launch game. We only saw the game, but no release. So that's a half a point for that. And then the console will not be shown, I said. So actually, I didn't win by very much. According to my mathematics, it's one to one and a half. Yeah. So honestly, not a very impressive showing for either of us. <laughs> yeah, we, we did pretty, being pretty poorly. Now, IGN, my old website, has a really nice rundown of everything that was announced at the show. I was going to sit down and write everything out in my own document like I usually do, but I f- felt like we would be waiting too long for the show to get out because I want to publish it immediately once it's ready from Dustin. So I want to use their little rundown instead to go over everything that was shown. And I think the big thing was at the end. So we saw the P- PS5 console. It is the... The console has been revealed mm-hmm. and they have reiterated the holiday 2020 launch window, but they did something a little surprising, which I was really happy with, which they talked about how there's going to be two SKUs of PlayStation 5, one with a disk drive and one without. So talk to me a little bit about what you think about the dual sort of approach with the SKUs and what you think about the console and the way it looks itself. Yeah, so I think I think the the dual SKU is, is a good idea. Obviously, I think the... The Xbox One did this, I think, a year and a half ago or something like that, where they had an Xbox One all digital edition, and it was like fifty dollars cheaper or, or something like that. It was it, it came at at a, at a price cut, which is nice. It's a smart way to get people involved in in the new generation, gives them uh, a cheaper jumping in point. Digital just seems to be the way of the future now, and it has been like that on PC for a really long time anyway. So it seems like it seems like this is becoming a future that more more and more people are comfortable with. I know I've been comfortable with it for a while. So I think that is that is smart. The look of the console, I'm 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 iffy. I like the digital version a lot. I think it looks cool. It looks a little bit like those photoshops of the PS4 from like 2008, <laughs> like when those were circling around on the web. Yeah. But uh I think it looks nice. The the standard one with the disk drive I think genuinely looks hideous. <laughs> There's something about that bump and that unsavory line that just looks really uh it looks it looks it looks pregnant almost mm. and there's something yeah. weird, there's something weird about especially when it's like if you see it like i don't know if you've seen it lied uh laid down horizontally but the the bump is on the bottom which is a, l- a little bit weird but uh yeah i've not i've not actually seen that because that was what what my major concern was is that there doesn't seem to be is that there doesn't seem to be a line flush enough to lay it down so you've seen you've seen the console laying down 
Yeah, yeah. Horizontally? I, I, I've seen pictures of it laying down. I don't know if it's like official, but I would I, I would imagine that it's probably because it would even because it, it would even look weirder if the if the bump was on top because then it would just look this weird thing. I assume it has like a stand that kind of mm. goes beneath it to help it like to help it uh, lay flush. Just like um, with PS2. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And PS4. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think it's I think overall, I think it's a good looking machine. Uh, a little weird, a little, a little quirky. A little uh, routery. I, I noticed that this yeah. this next generation in general is just like the tall boys. <laughs> it's just you got like a fridge and like a router, and it's like okay, yeah, cool. I'm not weird. I'm not crazy about the way it looks. Yeah, I gotta say I'm not I'm not crazy about the aesthetic. Now, the aesthetic of the console doesn't really matter to me at all. I don't care. I've said yeah. many times in the past that it could look like a cardboard box as long as it plays the games and does what it needs to do. But as far as the two different SKUs. I'm really thrilled about that. I think it's awesome that there's a PS5 with a with a disk drive and a PlayStation 5 so-called digital edition without. I think I'll buy both. Uh, ultimately, have one in my bedroom and one in yeah. my living room. But I don't like that. It, it really does look like a router. And <laughs> I, I also have to say, like, I'm not crazy about like the little almost when you look at it fl- like flush on from the front, it looks like it has devil horns. I'm not crazy about the way it looks. It it, it I wanted a more elegant looking machine. I don't think that this is it. It doesn't again. It doesn't really matter to me, but I, I think it looks kind of elegant. It looks uh, it looks like drug kingpin furniture. You know, it looks like something that <laughs> something that costs. It looks expensive. It looks I, I'm not like in love with the, the design of it necessarily, but I, I don't think it looks bad by any means. I think uh, it looks serviceable. I think it looks interesting. The, the weirdest part for me is just that it looks so much like those photoshops. From like early, like or, or like late in the uh, the late aughts of just what the next generation could look like when you had that ridiculous Xbox sphere and just yeah. like the, and just like the the Playstations that looked surprisingly similar to this. But I, I, I like it overall. I think it's a good looking machine. Yeah, I just I don't know. I'm staring at it right now as we record. It'll grow on you, I'm sure. Yeah, it probably will. I don't know that I've ever really liked any of the designs of the consoles, except for probably PS4, I thought was pretty good. Mm -hmm. But I just wish that they made it more symmetrical. I don't mind the asymmetry of the disk drive. I actually think that looks cool. In my opinion, you disagree with that. But I don't like the I just don't I don't know. I I don't know. I'm just looking at it. I'm not feeling it. I wish that it was like more of a solid white color and yeah. The controller looks great, yeah. but I guess they were kind of telegraphing what this console was going to look like with the controller itself, because you have this mostly white dual sense controller with the white touchpad and then kind of the black accents. And that, and we have the white on black accent mm-hmm. here with the PlayStation 5 itself. So I don't know. We'll find out. But I was uh, I was surprised, but but genuinely surprised, but also happily surprised that they have these two different SKUs going. We don't know about storage we don't know about pricing yet which i'm curious about what the price differential will be between these two is there one you're going to target over the other or i i i think it, at this point i'm probably going to go with the digital edition just because i haven't plopped a disc into my playstation ever actually like ever since i've owned the playstation 4 i haven't owned a single the the oldest game on disc that i own from this generation is metal gear solid Metal Gear Solid 5, The Phantom Pain on Xbox 2015. One. 
yeah. on Xbox One. And that's like the only disc I have from this generation. And the original Destiny, which at the time I wasn't, I was like, no, I'm not downloading things. 2014. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's been like, yeah. it's been about like six, five, six years since I've ever even owned a disc. And I feel like at this point, if I own a disc, it's really just for the, for shits and giggles and like for the collecting aspect of it. I, I don't intend to, I don't intend to buy this, uh, the, the disc one. I'll be interested to see which one's more popular. Yeah. Because digital purchasing has really ramped up, as we've been talking about since COVID has settled in. But I think even before that, Borderlands 3 was experiencing like seven out of 10 games purchased digitally. We saw, I think, Final Fantasy 7 selling more digitally, but that was in the COVID era. So I'll be interested to see what people do and how they respond. And if Sony even talks about the differential between the consoles, because when PS3 launched and they had the different SKUs as far as hard drive space is concerned, they actually didn't get too granular with it. So I don't know if they'll do that here, but I really do want to buy both. I, I'm loath to buy the digital version only because or the digital edition because PS5 will be backwards compatible. I do own a shit ton of physical games. Yeah, yeah. maybe I'll want to go back and play them at some point. So that might be my only option. What would be interesting, Chris, is if and this would be a real waste, but they I feel like they could have done this, but I don't know if people would have liked it, but is to have just released the digital edition, like the solid state version and then release an external drive. That you had to buy separately mm. if you wanted to. That would that would be equivalent to what it would cost to buy the PS5 with the drive itself, because that would be a more tantalizing thing. And then that would give people more options, more nonlinear options in terms of their purchasing power. Yeah. But they so uh, I, I don't know. I know some people really enjoy watching Blu-ray movies and they want to buy games on discs. So this is for them. But I would be very confident. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's got a it's got a 4K Blu-ray in it now, which is which is right. nice. That's, that's a pretty good feature. I'll say, though, that I think the digital edition will sell more. And I don't know if we'll hear about that yeah. further. But no, it's, it's definitely going to be cheaper. So I, I, I assume more people are going to buy it. What's your price prediction for these consoles since we didn't see anything? <sighs> Based on the fact that they're not talking about price, even though they've showed the machine, it seems like they're waiting for Microsoft to go. And that seems to telegraph to me that the price is probably higher than people expect. Uh, what was our what was our initial prediction? It was like four four ninety nine ninety nine. I thought was what we were four ninety nine five forty nine ninety nine was the highest. I think four four ninety nine ninety nine is probably the price of the digital version, right? And I think the I think the um the disc version is is actually like a little bit like whoa, <laughs> like what is that? It's probably going to be like five, like closer to the cl- closer to the mid fives. Yeah. I don't see why they I, like if if it was cheaper than that. I don't see why they wouldn't have just gone ahead and announced the price and and just accepted pre-orders today. I think you're right. I think that the PS5 digital edition will be four ninety nine ninety nine US, and I think the PS5 standard with the disc drive will be five ninety nine ninety nine yeah. US. I I know that the five hundred and ninety nine ninety nine USD thing is a is a meme from the PlayStation three era. For those of you who are out there and and paying attention in two thousand six. That was a real disastrous time, but that was also 14 years ago yeah. and five ninety nine ninety nine then and five ninety nine ninety nine now are are two different things because of inflation and purchasing power. So I don't know that it's that deadly to ex- to expose the console to that that otherwise meme worthy price point. So I think you're right. I think four ninety nine ninety nine five ninety nine ninety nine. I dare I say I think the PS five with the disc drive might even be more than that. But we'll I, find I would, out. I, I, I would I would assume like mid fives, like five forty nine or five five something. So you something think like fifty dollars more for the disc drive? That is about the price 
of a of a 4K Blu-ray drive like in a machine, uh, I think, because that's about how much cheaper the Xbox One was without the, the that that's all I'm basing it off of. I it could be more expensive. Maybe it's more expensive and it has more storage. Potentially, it's still we still don't really have info on like exactly like the granular numbers of all of these specs. But uh, yeah, I I would be shocked if it's five ninety nine. That that would be surprising. Although I, yeah. I don't necessarily think it would be deadly. I don't know. I guess we're gonna find out. It'll be. I'm really interested to see how they balance these two things because it's for the first time we're getting two PlayStation SKUs that are really markedly different. It's not just about the internal hard drives of them, which was pretty novel in 2006, 2007. Mm-hmm. The idea of like, oh, you you want like a 20 gig or a 40 gig or a 60 gig? Obviously, we're now dealing in in terms of terabytes, so we've come a long way. But I'll be really, really interested to see how they balance these prices, how they make them both tantalizing. And I think who attaches themselves to one or the other, because as a digital guy myself, I find myself really still very intrigued by the disc version just because of the backwards compatibility. So it's funny. I have no interest in buying PS5 games on disc. I don't think I'll buy any of them on disc if I can avoid it. Yet I still want the disc version just because I have hundreds of games on PS3 and PS4 physically that I would otherwise not have access to. Yeah. I wish that there was a way for them to figure out a way to digitally download these games without the disc, but obviously that's a, that's that's too much to ask and I don't know how they would possibly yeah, do that. Yeah, they didn't really go into back compat, which is interesting because I don't want to necessarily derail this too much, but we we started the the Sony event started with an announcement that Grand Theft Auto 5 was coming to PS5 in 2021 with like enhancements which is kind of confusing because it seems to telegraph that you won't be able to play Grand Theft Auto 5 in 2020 when the system launches yeah i don't know what that was all about i i it was hard for me to figure that out too it's a good point because i was confused by that because PS5 should be able to play PS4's Grand Theft Auto 5 natively yeah and I think that it probably will. But let's just we, we can jump right into that news because it is relevant news. I thought it was a little confusing because they started out by talking about PS4, showing PS4 games, having the PS4 logo on screen. And I'm like, this is a mistake. I don't give a fuck about the PS4 right now. <laughs> we still have a couple of great games coming out to it from the exclusive studios. We have The Last of Us Part Two on the 19th of June. And then in July, we have Ghost of Tsushima. And then we're going to get games like Cyberpunk and a few other things to round things out from third parties. Yeah. But I was confused. Like, there must have been a Rockstar agreement or a 2K Games or a Take-Two agreement to have them integrated into this some way because they haven't they weren't actually represented at all otherwise, with the exception of, I think they showed NBA 2K 21. So we did see that from Take-Two. But to expand on what Chris is talking about here... Grand Theft Auto 5 is coming to PS5 in 2021, which is exciting. Grand Theft Auto 5, one of the very best selling games of all time. And so it'll be making that jump. But like Chris said, we don't know what that means for backwards compatibility. My assumption is, is that we're still going to see some backwards compatibility there. They did show I, I don't know Grand Theft Auto 5 intimately enough to know if they've they added in like new tangible content via the trailer that we were shown because all those characters are familiar to me. Yeah. But I don't know if like any of those scenes were in the original game. It's been so long since I've even played it probably almost seven years. Well, they said like enhanced, you know, in PS. So either 
There are only two real things that could be happening here. Either Grand Theft Auto V is not backwards compatible and they're planning on reselling you this game in 2021, which would be like a really stupid idea. Or it's going to be backwards compatible out of the gate, but in 2021 there will be like a PS5 patch that will kind of add some uh, quality of life improvements, uh, take advantage of some underlying hardware. But that's also confusing because it's like, shouldn't the machine just do that? Like, I, I don't know. It, it's a really, it was a really bad way to start this. Like, they, I don't know why they even bothered. Yeah, I don't, it's, it is confusing. The cool thing about it was that PlayStation 5 players, so I guess beginning either next year when the game comes out natively or in backwards compatibility, will have access to Grand Theft Auto Online for free yeah. if they are PlayStation Plus members, which is pretty cool. It's a nice little piece of value. And I think that also PS4 Grand Theft Auto 5 owners will immediately get $1 million in in-game cash to spend, which is also nice. So at the very least, this signals that Rockstar and or Take-Two are intending on on continuing a pretty vibrant relationship with Sony that actually used to be, as people might recall, Grand Theft So when Grand Theft Auto became big with GTA 3 in 2001, Rockstar and Take-Two were very much in bed with Sony. GTA 3, Vice City... And San Andreas came out 2001, 2002, and 2004, respectively, yeah. on the console. And then was, were later ported to Xbox and other consoles. We, we got them on PS4 eventually. But with Grand Theft Auto 4 and with the DLC for Grand Theft Auto 4, the single-player DLC, which were uh, Ballad of Gay Tony and Lost in the Damned, people might remember that those came to PS or Xbox 360 only originally. And it took a long time for them to get ported to PS3. And then the relationship kind of pivoted again back to Sony there was a Grand Theft Auto, if I were, I don't know if it was PS3 or PS4, but there was a Grand Theft Auto PS3 or PS4 bundle. There might have been both. And it seems like they're back in bed with Sony. This is a pretty big thing to start your your show with. And it seems like Rockstar was swinging that big dick energy to get them to put Grand Theft Auto 5 up front. Because when I was first seeing this, I was actually like, oh, shit. Not being intimately knowledgeable about this particular game. I was like, oh, shit, there is single player DLC for this that they're going to actually release finally. And that wasn't what it was. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. So people can look forward to that. But that's how the show opened up. And I thought it was a nice opening indeed. But we're going to kind of go in a nonlinear way and talk about some of the games that I think were biggest. And I want to get Chris's impressions and we'll talk about some mm-hmm. of the stuff that was revealed. Perhaps the biggest game that was revealed was a game that I we all knew was in development, but that I didn't think was going to be shown yet which was Horizon. So yeah. the game is called Horizon Forbidden West. I'm seeing some people call it Horizon 2 Forbidden West. I don't think I saw that in the it, trailer. It, it's, it is for, yeah, there is a, there is a Roman numeral 2 underneath the, uh, underneath Horizon. Okay, great. So Forbidden West. And there is Zero Dawn in there at all, or is it just Horizon no. 2 Forbidden West? Okay. So I'm going through my notes here. So, not a huge surprise that we're getting this game back. It shows Aloy, our feminine hero, back riding her robotic steed. And people have pointed out that it looks like she's swimming through the remnants of San Francisco, which is pretty cool. In the game, obviously, the game takes place in a futuristic post-apocalyptic United States. A lot of the original game took place in Colorado. If you haven't played the original game, one of the best-selling games on PS4 from the exclusive category, you should definitely go and check it out. But I'm curious what you thought about this. I know you're not huge on Horizon, so I'm really interested to see or hear what your what your take was on this because 
again, we all knew this game was coming from Gorilla, but I just I thought we would get something else first. Yeah. So I'm a little I'm a little disappointed in this just because, again, we knew this was incoming. This was obvious. Horizon's huge. So we knew we were going to get a sequel. The rumor was that it was the sequel was actually being built on PS4 first and then moved to PS5. So I was hoping we were going to get a kill zone or SOCOM. Maybe we still will. But what did you think about the way this game looked, Forbidden West, and and are you excited about it? Yeah, I think it looks I think it looks pretty good. It looks uh, it, it's kind of it's weird because like whenever you're watching like a live stream, you can't really tell how much better things look because like on the stream it just it looked like more Horizon, obviously, and I'm sure it's gonna look way better than like what we saw on a compressed YouTube screen stream. But yeah, I I dug it overall. I, I thought the presentation was really cool. There wasn't much implication of anything that you could derive gameplay wise out of it seemed a little bit more story and like exploration based as far as like what it was trying to convey as far as what the gameplay is but i'm i'm interested in it i'm curious as to when we'll see it because did did they show a release date or like a release year no according to my no we didn't get we got some dates but not too many but for this particular game we didn't get one yeah that was why i was a little confused why they showed it too because i almost felt like you do want to kind of blow your load a little bit in this event. People have high expectations yeah. and all of that. And by the way, I do want to say, and I tweeted this out, I'm glad that they didn't make it look like an ISIS hostage video. It looks it looked way better than Xbox's presentation. I think that sticks out more than ever. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you and I kind of disagreed on the importance of that, but I think the importance of that has shown through now that we've seen the PS5 reveal. It just looked much more professional, much more focused, much better produced and all of that. Yeah. But... Yeah, I, I don't know that I needed to see this. It's cool that we know it exists now. Now we can speculate forever about Horizon 2 until it comes out and what it means and what Aloy is doing and the, the return of the machines and all of this. I think it's very exciting. But again, I, I was I was just hoping in my heart that Gorilla was splitting up a little bit and was going to do something else. And I I know it's weird, but I really wanted to see Killzone. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that we were going to. I, I thought maybe we would see SOCOM again. I felt that because of the hiring that Gorilla was doing specifically from the studio that made Rainbow Six Siege. So I was figuring that they that they might do whatever it is that they do. Yeah. But for me, I uh, I don't know. Are you disappointed that we didn't see anything else from them or what? I was kind of excited at the prospect of SOCOM. I, I think Horizon 2 is honestly kind of one of those things that was almost guaranteed to be shown mainly because it's just been so long you know like it's it's actually been a a decent amount of time since horizon originally came out so it seemed like around the right time to start talking about it the thing that i was more surprised by was the announcement of spider-man okay so let's get into that so they did at the very top of the show we saw the ps4 sizzle reel then we saw the gta 5 stuff then jim ryan came on he said uh amongst other things we're going to have our games do the talking, which I really liked. So he wasn't on screen too much. They did show this Spider-Man Miles Morales is what it's called. Spider-Man Miles Morales. It's set for holiday 2020 uh, from Insomniac Games, which is now owned by Sony. It's no longer a second party studio, but a first party studio, as we all know. My take on this is that this is not the sequel to Spider-Man. This mm-hmm. seems to be some sort of fully fleshed out expansion based in the same world that Spider-Man had already taken place in, which is Manhattan. What was your take on it? Do you agree with me that this is not the actual proper sequel of the game? It seems very quick to turn it around. That's that's what I was saying to my roommates. I was like, that looks really cool, but it also looks like DLC. 
Like it's a bit. It's a like you were saying. It's like really quick. This game came out not even two years ago. So like to see a full a full on sequel for next gen would be kind of surprising. But if they manage to do it, I, I assume like the city is probably the same. I, I I guess it wouldn't really take that much time to develop a full fledged sequel in a game that's kind of already established like that. That's free roam and kind of has most of the foundation kind of already built. But yeah, my my instincts were that yeah, this is an expansion kind of DLC slash standalone sub like subtitle of the original Spider-Man from 2018, which uh, yeah, yeah, which seems which is fine by me, honestly. Like it it looks it looks cool. I like Miles. If it plays any anywhere near as good as the original, which it probably will. Uh, then it'll be it'll be something worth paying attention to. Yeah, without getting too much into the original Spider-Man, which again people should play. It's an excellent game. I'm not a huge comic book fan, as everyone knows, but it's, I think it's very much worth looking into if you're into that sort of thing, or even if you're not like me, you might still casually enjoy just playing a nice open-world kinetic third-person action game. Yeah, they they already supported Spider-Man with I think a trio of DLC packs. I think there's a season pass for it. Mm-hmm. This seems like a more like what Sucker Punch did with Infamous Second Son when they released First Light, when it was basically a full package. And yeah. I think this is a really powerful game to have out at launch. They did say holiday 2020, so that suggests to me that this will, game will be out at launch from Insomniac. And Insomniac actually showed two games. We'll talk about the other one in a minute, but. I think that that's a very powerful game to have out exclusively on the console. My question is about this is that if it takes place in the same world, it looks like it uses the same assets, kind of the same gameplay or whatever. It's kind of a bridge between the next game. Is it possible, Chris, that this game is also going to be available on PS4? That's something that when I was watching and I was like, hmm, do you want to really isolate this game only on PS5? Or do you want to make this available to people that already played Spider-Man on PS4 or sell more copies? Spider-Man's one of the best-selling games on PS4. So I don't know where their mind is. What do you think? Do you think it'll be a real exclusive? Because they did say at the beginning, after the GTA 5 stuff, everything shown will now be running on PS5. But they did not say that the games will be exclusive to PS5. And obviously, we saw games that were are definitely not exclusive to PS5. So for sure, I'm, I'm wondering, what do you think that this game will cross generations? I It would be smart to do that. I I think I think the level headed decision would be to yeah like make it cross generational have some bells and whistles for PS five maybe like uh I don't know a PS five exclusive costume or like or a costume exclusive set of powers to go with that to go with whatever costume it has I don't know if you want to lock that content away necessarily especially if it is DLC if it's a standalone kind of one of those um a standalone expansion that you can kind of play without having played the original, then I think it would be a little bit more reasonable to be like, hey, you know, this is a PS5 game, whatever. It's not, this isn't really helping the sales of Spider-Man anymore. But I would say the decision depends really heavily on the nature of what this title is and how standalone it actually is versus like how dependent it is on the original game. Yeah, because Infamous is a good kind of, benchmark because it could be something like festival of blood which was an infamous two piece of dlc that was more attached to the original game that took like 90 minutes to 120 minutes to beat if it's something like that i think you would want to make a cross generation maybe if it's something more standalone you want to make a ps5 exclusive but i think the more tantalizing thing to get people to buy it on ps5 or to buy a ps5 for it even if you made it available on everything or both consoles is to say like this game will somehow lock into spider-man 2 Mm -hmm. right like the real spider-man 2 if you play it on ps5 
So, yeah, I think that there's a way for them to manage this. I'm just curious if they're really going to alienate the PS5 audience or the PS4 audience, which is 120 million strong or so. And put this only on PS5, it is a tantalizing reason to buy PS5. But since they've basically admitted that the console is going to be supply constrained this fall, it just would be kind of it would be kind of fucked up because they really did telegraph that this would be something with the original game and Miles Morales, Miles Morales's inclusion, who I think is Puerto Rican. So he's one of your people, by yeah, the way. I think he's like uh, half black, half Latino, I think. Oh, OK. So something like that. He's kind of like one of your people. Yeah. So I don't know, but we get that holiday 2020. I think it looks really cool. I'm excited about that. I think it's cool to include him. He's a tantalizing character to me. I know you're a big Spider-Man fan. The only thing that really Marvel really doesn't induce me very much with the exception of Spider-Man. Oh, for sure. Pretty much exclusively. So (laughs) I'm excited to see it as well. I like Spider-Man a lot, not only because it's of its New York setting, but I like the villains in it. Obviously, uh, my longtime audience knows that I'm a big fan of Shocker and was actually (laughs) trying to rally insomniac to let me do the voice for shocker in the game but they didn't so <laughs> i always loved shocker as a kid i had a shocker toy i, lo- I love that that's such a b that's such a like a z grade villain yeah he's all well <laughs> i was really into the sinister six when i was a kid oh yeah absolutely so, so you know mr sinister and mysterio and the scorpion and all them and i had a shocker toy where you his arms were like straight and they put like little bolts of electricity in them and then you can pull the bolt back through the forearm and let it go and then it shot out of his arm yeah it's like a core like a like a crossbow kind of right and after that i was in love you know not only from that but from the spider-man cartoon i was in love with shocker after that so and and i love what is it mr sinister as well i think he's a cool character too yeah the angie's list you know and trust is now angie and we're so much more than just a list we still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Since we're talking about Insomniac, we might as well stay with them. They also showed Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. I told you guys this game was going to be ready. Now, I was a little bit surprised that there was no date on it. So it seems like it's going to be a 2021 release. I'm not super surprised by this, I guess, in relation to the fact that Insomniac is already putting out a game seemingly at launch with the Miles Morales Spider-Man spinoff. Mm-hmm. So they want to hold this. Ratchet and Clank is made from a different Insomniac studio. Ratchet and Clank is made in North Carolina. In your hometown of Burbank is where Spider-Man is made by Insomniac's HQ. Uh, so Rift Apart seems really cool. And I was really happy to see my friend, my personal friend, Marcus Smith on here. Marcus Smith is a longtime Insomniac employee and was the director of the Resistance series. So it was cool to see his face on there. He was in charge of the DLC for Spider-Man. So it seems like he's moved on to kind of help them get Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart out the door. This is a brand new adventure. So we were kind of curious if like the 2016 budget Ratchet and Clank that was available for $40, which was a remake of the original, we were curious if this game would be a remake of the second Ratchet and Clank game from PS2, it is not. It's its own game. 
and I think it looks absolutely amazing. What do you think? Yeah, I think it looks really good. Uh, I never had much history with with Ratchet and Clank, but uh, I did play the uh, the more recent remake on PS4, and I liked it. And this looks really cool. I like I like the, what they're doing with the instantaneous loading of different levels, and like how they're tying it into like dimensional kind of powers and like that weird gravity. It 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 was weird. They had like they showcased like this grappling hook that like grappled the world to you, rather than grappling you to like a certain point which was kind of cool even if it is just kind of like a, a visual a visual trick uh i thought that was like a really neat aspect of what was happening the weapons looked really cool it looked really vibrant and, and colorful and the animations looked really stand out and it, i I'm, I'm into it i like it a lot yeah i think it looks awesome i love ratchet and clank i think it's a really fantastic series i think it's so playable it's so charming I really love how they retconned the 2016 Ratchet and Clank to make Ratchet and Clank actually like each other. As people who have been a longtime fan of the series know, the original Ratchet and Clank is actually a little bit hard to play because Ratchet and Clank hate each other in that game. (laughs) And they become friends later. So they were able to retcon that successfully to make them like a duo as opposed to basically rivals. And so now they get to go into the second thing. And I think this game really takes place or takes advantage rather of the SSD and the instantaneous loading of PS5. It looks awesome. It looks complicated, which is a little surprising for a Ratchet and Clank game that's supposed to be a little bit more accessible to everyone. But nonetheless, I think it looks awesome. I'm really excited to play it. I love that my friend Marcus Smith is involved in it. And they showed a female Lombax in the game as well towards the end. So that's kind of neat. We'll get maybe an introduction of a new character. Clank is a little surprised that he sees a female Lombax. I wonder how that works into the story, but I'm really excited about it. So Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. I told you guys. There was a Ratchet and Clank available on PS5. Colin was right. Hashtag Colin was right. All right. So they showed at the beginning Grand Theft Auto, or I'm sorry, Gran Turismo 7. No date. Mm-hmm. They did show uh, Kazanori talking a little bit about it. They showed gameplay. They showed the UI. You've mentioned in the past that Gran Turismo and other racing games are really great showcases for consoles. We saw that with PS4 with Drive Club, which ended up being a disaster. But we didn't know it at the time when we saw the game originally in 2013. So what was your uh, what was your instinct about this, about seeing Gran Turismo 7 and kind of all the features and the way it looks? Again, reminding people that Sony, I think, wisely locked the stream to 1080p 30. This game will run at 4K 60, my assumption is. Yeah. But I know that they wouldn't be able to get that out to everyone and it would look even worse and more pixelated. So I think you're going to have to go look at the native trailers to get more information about that but what did you think about Gran Turismo 7 I think it's I think it's about time that the franchise came back yeah I mean it's it's about it it seems to be in keeping with the tradition of just sort of popping in when a new generation is about to start I gotta say I don't know if it's maybe the uh the the uh, Unreal Engine trailer that we saw or the Unreal Engine tech demo we saw a few weeks back I don't know if it's necessarily that a lot of games are looking very pretty like by default now, but uh, I this looked like you know a, a good looking racing game, but it, it didn't necessarily. I'm also not a racing game person, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, so neither. like it's it's yeah. hard for me to really get excited about like oh this looks realistic now again, you know, uh, especially when so many other games that are a lot more complicated that like are genuinely difficult to get looking realistic are now looking super super good. Gran Turismo, I still think has a place and I still think belongs on the platform and I still think is a good probably is probably a good showcase for what the machine can do when you're playing it. 
but that kind of wow factor didn't really jump out at me at on this stream in large part because like you said it was locked to 1080 it was a stream there was a lot of compression it kind of steals a lot of the thunder out of what a showcase of a game like Gran Turismo is supposed to be traditionally I don't know how you I don't know how you felt about it yeah I mean it's it's a shame because I think you're going to have to now go back to PlayStation's YouTube channel. I haven't even done so. I assume that they'll now release all the trailers in their native resolution and frame rates. Yeah. Because typically when when the jump from PS3 to PS4 happened and we saw games like Drive Club, there wasn't there. It was impressive because they were able to keep a high resolution and a high frame rate, yeah. which wasn't really possible on PS3. And now that we're used to 1080p 60 with some of these games on PS4, now the next jump is is 4K 60 or 4K 30, I guess, maybe. But with a racing game, you're going to need 4K 60, I think, to make it more impressive. So I thought it looked really good. It looked really slick. We knew this game was coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, Polyphony, more than other studios, Chris, as you know, is really bad at hiding what they're doing. They often <laughs> really loudly travel to racetracks and to car manufacturers and stuff and take pictures and do all this kind of crazy shit, Yeah, which I think people that have been following PlayStation for a long time know. They just don't care about if people see them or know what they're doing. And that's how games like GT5 and GT6 leaked. So we knew that GT7 was coming. I was a little bit hesitant about being too excited about this. I'm not going to play it because I don't care about Gran Turismo personally. But I was kind of hoping that they were just going to make this a platform. And when they showed the tail end of the trailer and showed the UI for the game, that's what I thought they were getting into. But they didn't actually illuminate any more of it than just showing it. Yeah. As opposed to, like, in other words, being like, this is kind of a really robust user interface you'll be able to kind of buy and select cars and select drivers and select tracks whatever the case might be but it seems like it's going to be an all-encompassing package i still feel like gran turismo is one of those games that could best showcase the future of what ip can do within sony's ecosystem yeah by not being a self-contained game but by being something persistent that can be played for many years to come so I'm I'm still kind of hoping that they do that but i don't i don't know if they're going to yeah i'm glad it, i'm glad it exists finally like out in the open yeah, because we saw the logo, which was basically made up <laughs> yeah. a couple weeks ago on Instagram from like a racing chair company. Everyone got on them. But obviously this game was coming. And so now we know it is no date on that yet. But we know it's coming from Polyphony. Very talented Japanese studio. longtime Sony studio. One of the very first first party studios that Sony owned. And Gran Turismo obviously is one of Sony's very earliest IP. So it is cool to see that as well. Staying within the exclusive range before we go into some of the other games that we want to talk about, and I'm just going through my notes to make sure that we're not missing anything here. Um, they showed Demon Souls. Now, this was a game I told you for a long time was coming to. Mm-hmm. This is being uh, developed by Bluepoint in conjunction with production help from Japan Studio. Not a huge surprise. That's the same setup that happened the original time with From Software and Japan Studio. For people that are unaware, Demon Souls is basically the original Souls game. So Dark Souls, Bloodborne, all of that came out in early 2009 in Japan and in late 2009 in North America. Didn't come to Europe until 2010, actually. And this is one of the examples of a game that Sony didn't realize what they had. Because if you're familiar with the game, Sony actually published this in Japan, Demon's Souls on PS3, and then let it go. So Atlas ended up publishing it in North America. And then actually Bandai Namco, known then as Namco Bandai, published the game in Europe. So this was a game that was long rumored to be remade it is being remade by Blue Point, which is I'm still confident will be purchased eventually by Sony. And it looks really great. What do you think, Chris, about the confirmation that this game is coming and what it means for PS5? I think it's a good get. I think it, it looks gorgeous. Like it's like visually really striking. These games bring me great pain. <laughs> and they, they feel like they're bullies. 
And every time I see it, I'm reminded of everything that's wrong with me. But uh, I think it's a good it's a good get to have on the console. I don't know. Did, did, did we get a date on that? 2021, right? Yeah, no, there. I don't think there was. Let me look here. But I don't think that there was a date. Yeah, no, there wasn't. On it. Yeah. Yeah, I would have so, written it down. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not seeing any date here on any of the notes I have as well. Yeah, I think um, I think it's a good it's it's definitely great to have that as an exclusive especially like is it an it's an exclusive right yeah because sony owns demon souls yeah so that's why they went back and got bloodborne because they could the the irony is that they could have had dark souls but they just they could have had it bandai namco is the one that came in and took it but they could have had it as an exclusive the entire time which is why they went back to bloodborne Mm -hmm. and so yeah they own demon souls demons souls which i hate that i hate the name of it it's demons (laughs) singular possessive souls it's just a horrible name but it looks great when the when that big knight puts the shield down on the ground and stuff i'm like oh this looks this looks really good yeah so i'll give it a go i played it a little bit demon souls when it came out in 2009 again i don't like i like punishing games in 2d i have less tolerance for punishing games in 3d so that was one of the turnoffs for me i don't i just don't think i'm good enough for it but maybe we'll i'll go back and, and give it a try so we have that as well now, the other before we get into some of these other games, and there's some big ones here, I wanted to go through my notes and just point out that they talked about, and this is really exciting to me, Chris, a housemark game, a third person shooter called Returnal, which is being published by Sony. So what do you think of this? I, it, it looks weird. I, I don't know what to make of it. I, I will say like I got I got red flags going off in my head the second I saw the shooting because it looked like the shooting part and the, and the combat part looked almost exactly like anthem and it like kind of it kind of it kind of scared me a little bit but i know that you have like a a particularly long history with housemark and what you generally prefer to see from them so what would you think of uh this route for them yeah it's interesting because i don't know what this is in terms of what they do yeah people might recall that they were working for a while on a game called stormborn which they basically have abandoned that was supposed to be a battle royale game or storm. I'm sorry, storm divers. It mm-hmm. was called, which they basically abandoned and they put a halt to it in late 2019, early 2020. And I'm wondering if this game is the remnants of that in a more single player centric situation. The game comes out in 2021. We haven't actually gotten a housemark game in four years by the time this game comes out. Yeah, which is pretty interesting. They usually were releasing games at a, a higher clip. This seems to be a game from my perspective as a big housemark fan that is different. I was studying the HUD and studying the screen. And, and what you see in a lot of housemark games is a, a, is a drive for high scores and multipliers. You see that in Stardust. You see that in Dead Nation and Alien Nation and Resogun, Matterfall, Next Machina. And with this game, you don't see that. So I'm wondering if it's something like kind of a step up for them. Yeah. The shooting reminded me a little bit. We didn't see too much cover. But it reminded me a little bit of like what you would see out of the Order 1886 or something like that, which in, in turn was something you would see out of like Gears of War. Mm-hmm. The camera doesn't seem close enough for that particular analogy. But I'm just wondering, Sony got back into bed with them for this. Yeah. And Sony kind of seemed not happy with Housemark. And as I've told people in the past, Sony had some conflict with Housemark over Resogun and the way that game was being handled. And Resogun's awesome. So I'm curious why they got back back in the bed, where this game came from. 
if it's kind of the remnants of Storm Divers in a more single player centric situation, it, it is dated for 2021. I can't help but be really excited about it because, like you said, I have such an affinity yeah. for this studio. But I don't know if this is what makes that studio great. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the, what makes the studio great is twin stick shooting, high score chasing, multiplier chasing. And I we may we might not just not have seen the HUD in the way that it's meant to be seen because it would be cool to have like a triple A style or double A style third person over the shoulder shooter that still exists within that that universe of score chasing as opposed to just getting through to the next stage. Yeah. That was what was so exciting about the games. Anyone can beat Super Stardust. It was about beating Super Stardust with a high score. That was what it was about. Anyone can beat Dead Nation or Resogun. It's about doing it with a high multiplier. And so I'm excited, but cautiously so, because we haven't seen what the studio can do. And I think that in recent years, and I think that Next Machina in particular was just not that impressive. Mm-hmm. And that was a game that they were really pushing. Right. So we'll see. But I am uh, I'm looking forward to it nonetheless. I will always give them the benefit of the doubt until otherwise needed. I didn't play Matterfall, by the way, so I still need to to play that at some point. Uh, so, all right. So we talked about Spider-Man. We talked about Gran Turismo. We talked about Ratchet. We talked about Grand Theft Auto. So the next game that we should talk about is Project Athia from Square Enix. Yeah. Now, what I was interested about this, Chris, was that they they used a very specific language here. They said it, it's it's designed exclusively for the PS5. They did <laughs> not say it was exclusive to the PS5. Yeah. Now, people will say that Square and people know Square Enix has always been weird about this. This goes back to Tomb Raider. Uh, this goes back to Final Fantasy VII and others. I'm not convinced that this is a PS5 exclusive. I think that it'll be a timed exclusive. Mm-hmm. It looks like an action role-playing game. Otherwise, we don't know much about it. What did you think about what we saw of Project Athia? Yeah. Well, first, I, I agree with you. I think it's a timed. That <laughs> was really weird verbiage. Even I caught that. I was like, what? But it, it looks neat. We've seen very little of it. It looks like... Uh, Looks vaguely Hellblade-ish, but like mm. with a little bit more of an emphasis on powers, a little bit maybe potentially like open world, uh, explore, explorative RPG. I'm interested in it, but it's like a, with an asterisk, you know, because there's just so little. There's so little I know about this versus so many other things that I'm actively excited about. You know what I mean? Definitely. And I just don't I'm, I'm just skeptical about the verbiage again, that they used for the game if you're looking forward to this being a, an exclusive, which doesn't really matter to me. But the game is coming from Luminous Productions, which is a Square Enix-owned studio. And we don't really know what they're capable of because they ported Final Fantasy XV to Stadia. But otherwise, this is a pretty new studio. Yeah. And it was formed basically out of the remnants of a different studio, Business Division 2. So... I don't know if we should be excited about this game or not. And also we see games not only from Square Enix, but from studios like Capcom that never come to fruition that are just basically showcases for engines. Deep Down is a really good example of that, which we never saw out of PS4. I did play Deep Down, but it was never released. Yeah. So I'm a little skeptical of if we're going to see this game or not. But what we see, it looks cool. I'm always down for another female protagonist, another action RPG. That's appealing to me. Yeah. So we will see what happens there. Another game that they showed, Chris, which looked really great, was Resident Evil 8. Yeah. And this was a pretty big uh, showcase. It's called Resident Evil Village. 
I love the I love how they work in the Roman numerals into the names of the game. Yeah. So village is V I I I A G E, obviously. So that's eight. It looks fucking awesome. Again, we don't really know what the nature of it's going to be. But Chris Redfield is in the trailer and it comes out in 2021, presumably. And uh, I can't get help but get excited about this simply because Resident Evil 7 was so good, as well as Resident Evil 2 Remake. And I think Resident Evil 3 Remake might be a little underrated, actually. What did you think of this brief uh, three minute trailer that we saw of the game? It looks cool. I uh, I obviously still have yet to go through Resident Evil 7, but I've heard nothing but positive things about it. And you got to do it, man. It's so good. I know. Like once I'm all established in the new place, I'll probably I'll probably get into it. I have it on like two platforms. Uh, there's no excuse why, why I shouldn't have played it already. But it looked really cool. I have a lot of confidence in Resident Evil in general, even though I haven't played 7 uh, based on the things that I've heard about it and based on just my experience with uh, Resident Evil 2 and 3 Remake, like you said, which are both pretty good games. One is phenomenal and one is still pretty, pretty good, I think. So this looked pretty cool. Chris Redfield looks really weird, though. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know if they just like got like a new mocap like face model for him or something but he look he looks he looks so ancient like he looks like he's seen so much i uh, guess he has i guess so yeah so much but, yeah but uh yeah I, I i'm i'm interested in it. it it caught my attention i knew immediately though like the second the second uh the trailer started i was like oh this is resident evil because you could just kind of tell the way they the way they do facial animations is is very very good and it's good in a way that isn't good for most studios. And I was like, oh, this is this is Resident Evil. Another game that looked really good to me now that we're getting out of the exclusive realm. We started doing that with Resident Evil 8, which obviously won't be exclusive. We we heard about this game last year, I believe, at Bethesda's press conference at E3, but we haven't seen anything about it since. Is this game Deathloop, yeah. which is being made by Bethesda-owned Arcane, And I think this game looks awesome. I think this game looks really, really good. The idea is really cool. It <laughs> yeah. reminds me a little bit of that Black Mirror episode, White Bear, about living the same day over and over again and trying to kind of make it change. Yeah. And I think the combat looks really good. It looks really fluid. I'm not a huge Arcane fan. I didn't like Prey very much, and I wasn't a huge Dishonored fan, but I think that this game looks awesome, and I assume that this was going to be a Bethesda's press conference, before, and then they, they got themselves involved in this. This isn't the only Bethesda game we saw, so... Uh, I'm wondering what you think about this game Deathloop and uh, if you're looking forward to it and, and what you think we might pull from it. Yeah, so I, I, I'm i into this quite a bit. I, I'm actually like a big fan of Arcane. Like I liked uh, Dishonored, uh, the original. I played Dishonored 2 for a little bit, but on, on on console it felt really weird. And then I played it again on PC and it, it, it turned out pretty good. And Prey is kind of another situation where it's like, oh, the, on console for some reason it felt really weird. But I did end up liking Prey. I ended up, I liked uh, both Dishonoreds. And this looks like... An evolution of Dishonored. It looks like uh, Dishonored mixed with like, n- like Hotline Miami in 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 a way that like oh you kind of like run through this level and just sort of like try to get the perfect run every time, or like try to experiment in different ways to just like run through all these people as fast as possible. I'm really into games like that where it feels like you can master a course, uh, and you can master like a level in a way that it looks like you can in here. I like the premise. I don't know if I'm all that sold on the idea of like. Another player jumping in trying to kill me. That seems like really kind of annoying, although I understand where the appeal is in that because asymmetric kind of multiplayer is something that I also have an affinity for. But overall, the gameplay stylings of this, 
very dishonored, very cool, very stylized. I love the uh, like the vintage kind of st- like late seventies kind of aesthetic to the trailer and like the music and the tone of it looks really cool. I'm actually like a lot more into this than I thought I would be like based on the first teaser trailer that we got last year at E3. I'm, I'm really, I'm really all about it. And I, I, I kind of can't wait to see more of this. Yeah. It, it gives me a Tarantino kind of feel. Yeah. Like feeling watching yeah, totally. it, which is cool. Very kill Billy, but like seventies. Uh, yes. yes. Definitely. So I think that game looks really cool. Definitely go check out that trailer if you guys and gals out there haven't seen it yet. Uh, another game they showed was uh, Hitman 3, mm-hmm. which is coming to both PS4 and PS5. That will be out in January 2021. At least that's the goal from IO Interactive, which recently was re- released from Square Enix, but they were released with the IP. So very much a Bungie Activision type situation. What did you think of this? Anything to be excited about? I know that you're you have some sort of affinity for the series, don't you? I really like Hitman a lot. Uh, I'm really bad at it and I'm very impatient, so I don't I don't play it all that often. But every time I play it, I, I really I really adore like what I'm doing in it. And it, it is really fun and really satisfying and really, really stylish in a very subdued kind of way. This didn't really give away too much, uh, but honestly, all I really need to know is that, oh, there's another Hitman, I'm down. Because these last two have been just really focused and really good games. Uh, they really kind of did a... They really reinvented themselves, especially after Hitman, I think, Absolution, which was just so terrible. Uh, so it's nice to see that them they're just like continuing to make just cool shit after that. Yeah, they started doing this more episodic approach, both mm-hmm. with Square Enix and then with Warner Brothers with Hitman 2. And the game I always wanted to see them return to is Mini Ninjas. Do you remember that game from 2009? Oh, yeah. Wow, I forgot they made that. Yeah, that was published by Idos. Yeah, they made that game. But that doesn't obviously make any sense. Them returning to Hitman is good. I will be interested to see how people receive it. IO has a lot of goodwill right Mm -hmm. now. And uh, so hopefully they make the most out of the opportunities. Hitman 3 comes out on PS5 and PS4 in January 2021. We saw another game, new IP from Capcom this time called Pragmata. What's interesting about this game is that it doesn't come to PS5 until 2022. So this is a game that is a little bit further out, but it looks pretty cool. Sci-fi kind of situation. Astronaut, all of this. Mm -hmm. What did you make of this two-minute trailer so that they showed? It was interesting because it shows the astronaut in like a cityscape with a little girl and a cat and all this kind of stuff. We don't really see any gameplay, so we don't really... Oh, we see a little bit of gameplay, I guess, but not too much. It looks third person. Do you see gameplay in it? Uh, like, I didn't see any gameplay. It looks like when you... I'm looking at the trailer now. I guess this isn't gameplay. I, yeah, I, it right. could be like in-engine or something. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, you're right. This isn't this isn't gameplay. But I, yeah. I don't know. I, I thought it... Visually and conceptually, it looks really cool. I It's hard for me to get excited, though, because I just don't know what the game is. This is kind of the, the problem with a lot of these, like, teaser trailers. And this was the problem with Deathloop last year. It was like, okay, uh... It's a death loop, I guess. <laughs> and there's like, that's really all you could really garner from it. But seeing like actual gameplay this year actually has me like excited about it because I can actually understand what I'm looking at. And this is kind of a similar thing where it's like, this looks like if like Death Stranding w- was Bioshock, you know, like you had the like the, the 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 imagery of the big astronaut kind of leaning over to the little girl, like very, very much like triggered some Bioshock memories in me, but. I don't know what this game is. 
I'm into the idea of an astronaut and a little girl as a pairing. Just seems kind of weird and kind of neat. But uh, right now, it's it's one of those asterisks for me where it's like, I'll, I'll keep an eye on this. Uh, but I definitely would, would like to see more. Yeah, we'll see what they... Um what they show. I mean, this game is further out than almost anything or al- literally anything that they actually showed. Yeah, this looks like a, this looks very early. Yeah, definitely. So we will see what comes from that. An interesting game that they showed, Chris, was Sackboy. Yeah. A big adventure. Now, they telegraphed this a little bit because, as we said, when they showed the PlayStation Studios logo that we talked about several weeks ago, the conspicuous inclusion in that logo was Sackboy. And I thought that was weird because we haven't actually gotten a little big planet game in six years. So it seemed to indicate to me that we were going to get more. People might remember that little big planet three came to PS three and PS four in 2014. It's from Sumo Digital. Sumo Digital is the studio that is making this game as well. But they've since made games like Crackdown three and others. They're a big studio and and a big team now of over 700 developers in Britain. Uh, So they have a lot going on there. But it seems like Sony is going to try to make Sackboy a thing again. This game comes out to PS5, presumably next year. Sumo Digital does have a little bit of experience with this IP, again, with a little big Planet 3. So Media Molecule is no longer involved as they're busy with dreams. So what did you make of this? Uh, I, I wasn't that blown away by it, but I'm wondering if this will have any resonance with anyone. Yeah, so the way that you put it actually is 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 kind of highlighting where it's like, it's they're trying to make Sackboy thing and it feels a little bit more like that now than I feel like it would have if they announced this game a lot earlier like it feels a bit late for this but a 3D platformer with Sackboy makes a lot of sense in in, in, my honest opinion is that this game should have been what Knack was like instead of Knack we should have had this game to launch on PS4 and it probably would have made a lot more sense it would have taken uh, an existing character and an existing IP that was still relatively popular and still relatively thought about and put him in a genre that would have made sense to expand to. But instead, we're getting it in like 2020. I don't think it looks bad at all. I think it looks charming. I think it looks cool. I like the idea that we're getting more 3D platformers again. But just this specific one just feels like really overdue. And like you said, it feels like they're trying to make it a thing. It feels like they're kind of forcing it almost even if that's not really what the intention is. I, I don't know. I'm like iffy. We'll see how this does. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I hope there's there a place well. for this. I hope it does well. Yeah, because, me too. Like, 3D platformers are really good. And uh, I had in time was like so stupid good for no reason. And obviously Mario Odyssey is like uncontested in that in that field because it's one of the few 3D platformers that bother to exist. So it, it's it's good. It's a good idea to compete in this in this arena. I think if if nothing else. Yeah, I don't think it hurts for yeah, them to for do this. Sure. It's probably a pretty cheap game for them to make. Suma Digital is a contract studio, so they're doing it with second party resources and we'll see what comes of it. I mean, I, I appreciate Sony's insistence on trying to make things happen. They did the same thing with Fat Princess on the PS4 with P- Fat Princess's Adventures and stuff like just see what you can do with some of these IP. You've you've got you've done the work of making them, of trademarking them, of of making it what it is so you shouldn't necessarily abandon it and i do think that Sackboy does have a place he's an interesting character and a cute character yeah so hopefully it does well i'm not confident but we will see what happens another thing they showed is astro's playroom mm-hmm. now this is an interesting game because this so astrobot rescue mission as people might remember is a psvr game and, and one of the very 
best PSVR game, according to a lot of people. I've not played it, but it's a game that people really enjoy. I think it came out in 2018. So in the same universe, as it were, Astro's Playroom is going to be a PS5 game. It doesn't appear that you're going to need PSVR for it, although maybe you will or maybe it'll have some sort of functionality with it, but it will come preloaded into your console. Not necessarily unheard of because we got something like Welcome Room Mm -hmm. with Vita that even had trophies on it that came with the console. But this is just a way for you to, I guess, familiarize yourself with the console, play around with it. There are four worlds in the game and it kind of explores what the DualSense can do. Yeah, that's kind of the idea. So what did you think of the inclusion of these characters and this IP on the PS5 itself? It'll be something that everyone has access to. Yeah, it looks all right. I, I thought I saw one stage in particular that looked like you were playing around in the PS2 like memory towers uh, from like the startup screen of the PS2 that, that looked kind of cool to me. Uh, as a nostalgic person, but uh, you know it's it's a it's a freeware game. I'm not going to give it too much. I, I'm I, you know I'm not going to harp on it. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's a little confusing just from the sense of I thought Astrobot did so well for Japan Studio and for Sony and PSVR that they were going to make like a proper sequel and really treat it well. They might still do that. This might not be any harbinger of things to come for that particular IP. But you would think you would want to hold back with these guys and make it a, a really meaningful game for PSVR 2 or something like that. But maybe that's the idea is to kind of integrate this in the PS5's users' experiences. And then when PSVR 2 comes out, you can say like, hey, you're familiar with these characters. We're going to make a proper yeah. sequel to our original PSVR game. That's definitely the strategy, I think. And it's, it's a smart one, I think. Another game they showed is a game called Bugsnacks. This is from the guys that made Octodad, Young Horses. I, I can't stand Octodad. I think that game is completely ridiculous <laughs> and overrated. It's like unplayable. So I yeah. wasn't a huge fan of that game at all. I didn't understand the hype behind it when it came out, I think, back in 2014. So people can go play that. It's called Octodad Dadliest Catch, which is which is a funny name. But <laughs> this particular game, it, it looks really charming and cute. There's like a strawberry running around in the beginning and some different kinds of creatures and animals, like a walrus character and... Yeah, you know, there's, it looks like a 3D platformer of some sort. It looks very charming. I don't think it'll be locked to PS5, but it's a game that they felt like they needed to show. Obviously, PlayStation has a relationship with Young Horses. So is there anything you have to say about Bugsnacks? Uh, I, it looks cute. Uh, it, it was, I, I, I'm not going to lie. Like when I saw it, I was like, what, what am I looking at? Like the whole time I was like, what, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I think is something that I aud- audibly said. But, uh, you know, it's it it's a thing. I, I don't know if I'm ever going to play this because I just don't know if I'm really the target audience for it. But uh, it looks like a fever dream. So it really I, does. I, I don't know what else I could say about it. It's, uh, even the, just the name Bug Snacks was just really. Do they just eat like fruits and become fruits? I don't know. Is is kind of the vibe. It remains to be seen. It remains to be seen to me. Yeah. What the situation is here. (laughs) They also showed more gameplay from Ghostwire Tokyo. And so this is an interesting game because we really weren't wasn't or weren't prepared for what was going to happen with this game. This was a game that was shown by Bethesda, as people might recall, last year. And then the creative director, who was kind of Shinji Mikami's protege, left the company conspicuously, which was really weird. So it was interesting that Bethesda, who's the publisher of the game and the owner of Tango Gameworks, the developer, showed Shinji Mikami, who was, of course, one of the the fathers of Resident Evil. They kind of showed him as taking the game back over, which I think instills a lot of confidence in people. Obviously, 
His most recent games from Tango were The Evil Within and The Evil Within 2. I think this game looks awesome. It's set for release on 2021. It's obviously not a PS5 exclusive. It'll come to Xbox as well. But do you have any additional thoughts on Ghostwire Tokyo? Yeah, so it it looks really cool. I, I like the uh, I like the look of what I'm seeing. I'm also kind of thrown off though because I, I expected like a horror game, you know, like more of a a direct kind of scary game. But this looks more like a kind of like an action game with horror elements. It, it reminds me like a little bit more of like a like a little bit more of an actiony Bioshock is the mm. kind of vibe that I was getting, where the like there's horror elements, but you can still deal pretty significant damage to whatever you come across. I don't know. I, I'm I'm definitely into it because the setting at the very least is really cool. And the some of the yeah, some of the yeah. enemy designs look really cool. But I just I was really not expecting it to be an action game. Yeah, it, I agree with you. It looked a little more action oriented than I had anticipated, which is fine, but I really hope that they they hone in on that horror aesthetic because that's what Tango is so well known for and obviously Mikami is so known for. So it would really be a waste to not take advantage of that because the original trailer that we were shown at E3, I believe last year was really haunting and I didn't get that same vibe from this. So I think you're absolutely right, but I'm hoping that Bethesda stays the course and creates something that is uh, worthy of that Tango studio and Mikami, which I think they will. Yeah. So people can look forward to that in 2021. Interesting trailer. If you want to go check it out. Another game that we've seen already before, but they showed again and reiterated for what seems to be a launch game is Gearbox's Godfall. This is an action game, an action RPG. We hadn't seen gameplay of it, I don't think, until now. But we knew this game existed. As far as I, as far as I remember, it was actually one of the very first, if not the first, next-gen game to be shown. So what did you think of the way this game looks? It looks a little generic to me, but I think it looks fun. I'm not sure that anything about it screams next-gen to me. Yeah. But it looks good. It'll be there at launch, so it's probably going to do pretty well and garner an audience. Is there anything interesting about this game to you? I I I kind of hated it. <laughs> I kind of hated everything that I saw of it. Like the trailer was just like really like the the music that they chose for the trailer was really like j- like not at all it, it it felt like jarring or like an accident almost. The tone of the trailer versus the tone of the art style and the tone of the combat that we were seeing just like it was just a very strange juxtaposition that I don't think really came across as like a stylish just juxtaposition it just sort of felt like we'll use a popular song or like we'll use like something that's really hype and hopefully people will be hyped about it 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 looks like you said very very generic gearbox doesn't necessarily inspire me with a lot of confidence outside of borderlands and even within borderlands there are some aspects that i don't even really feel that confident in them either so this was one of the ones that i saw this at, at this showcase that i just sort of felt literally nothing about it was just like okay here's here's a melee combat game i guess yeah it it looks fine yeah i don't know i they'll be there at launch so they're gonna get a they're gonna they're gonna get an audience yeah i think that's the idea i'm sure it's gonna be entirely fine another game that we saw that we knew already about but we didn't know was coming to ps5 was odd world soul storm so i know you're an odd world fan talk to me a little bit about this this game looks like it's coming out uh in 2021 so i'm curious what you make of the footage the new footage we saw and all the rest i just like odd world a lot and i like that world and i like those characters and i like those weird creature designs and thematically i really like that like this entire series it looks more in keeping with what odd world originally was it looks like a proper like odd world abe's exodus abe's odyssey kind of game 
not like a, one of those weird detours that they took with Stranger's Wrath or Munch's Odyssey, which Munch's Odyssey I didn't I actually didn't hate that much. So I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I liked seeing Lorne Lanning there, the legendary, limitless, luscious Lorne Lanning. Yeah, he's great. He's a fascinating person, and I'm just excited to see how this turns out. Him, it's it's like him and uh, him and Ken Levine are like some of the, like some of the only developers like by name that I think I'm just like kind of all in on whatever the hell they're gonna make because I just know it's gonna be weird and interesting. So I'm I'm all I'm all for it. Even if some of this footage was stuff that I think I've seen already, uh, some of it was definitely new. So I'm 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 into it. Yeah, Soulstorm is interesting because I think this game was supposed to come out like two or three years ago at this point. So it's been in development for a pretty long time. It seems like they've gotten some new funding maybe or whatever. And I always liked Lorne Landing. He's always been really nice to me, even after all this shit went down with me a couple years ago. He's always been really nice to me. So I'm pulling for him. It was nice to see his face. Yeah. On the uh, on the footage. So we're looking forward to more of that. I know Chris is especially we got another game here. It says it's a PS5 console exclusive, an action RPG called Little Devil Inside. I don't know how I feel about this one. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. I think we're getting a lot of these kinds of games, these third person action RPGs. There is a, an aesthetic that's interesting because it takes place like, in the woods and then there's like in the desert and in these lush grasslands and mm-hmm. in some sort of town or village and all of that. So it looks cool. Do you have anything to say about this game, Little Devil Inside? I like it. It looks I like the art style quite a bit. Like an art style goes a long way for me. And if something can look uh, visually interesting, then I know that at least even if I'm not having the best time playing it, it'll always be a treat to just sort of absorb uh, visually. But this looked kind of cool. It looked like uh, some Zelda elements, like some swords, some like cartoony looking bombs, some striking color palettes that I thought are I, I, I always like a game that can it's it's kind of weird. It's like an opposite of like the the late aughts or the late 2000s where I kind of like it when a game can be brave enough to be gray or like grave enough to be kind of like muted in color palettes because so many games now are j- just like Fortnite, you know, like just like really vibrant, like neon, like K-pop skins. And right. it just kind of feels like, uh, oh, this game is like it's cutesy and like kind of like stylistic, but it's also it's vibrant in a way that isn't like literally vibrant, you know, like contrasting. Looks cool. I like it. Yeah, it looks it looks cute. It looks like it has a nice art direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely it's just one of those games that's not going to stand out against this this backdrop. Oh, for sure. Of, yeah. of other games. It's just I think. I know it's exciting for smaller developers to get included in something like this, no doubt. But I also think it doesn't necessarily serve the game because it's going to be overshadowed by 10 other games that are shown. So I don't I, it's kind of a it's kind of a Hobson's choice because you want to be included. But at the same time, uh, maybe you don't want to be included. So Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, 
it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another game they showed, not a huge surprise. I mean, we knew this game was coming. was NBA 2K21. Mm-hmm. No, you're not a basketball fan. I'm not really a fan of these games either, but obviously they're very well received and well respected sports games. It looks awesome. They show just a little bit of footage of someone shooting around in a, in a gym and all of this. So we know that game's coming uh, fall 2020. I assume it'll be on the console at launch mm-hmm, yeah. and we will get uh, NBA 2K22 then in fall 2021 and so on and so forth from there. Another game they showed, Chris, that I wanted to talk a little bit about is this game, Kenna Bridge of Spirits. Yeah. Looks like some sort of action adventure game from Ember Lab. What did you make of this particular title? It looks very vibrant, very pretty. I like this one a lot. I like th- I like the art direction of it. I like the uh, there was one part part in particular where it kind of reminded me of uh, a gameplay mechanic from the Saboteur, uh, like an old pandemic game uh, it, where you're like liberating Paris from Nazi rule and like the the colors kind of change whenever you liberate. Like in that game, it was like black and white, and then whenever you would liberate it, it would be like full of color and very vibrant. And something similar happened in this in this trailer where like. You'd like walked into this like dark and oppressive landscape and you liberated it and like foliage grew in like real time. And like the it was just a very, very cool looking game. I like the character design of it. Female protagonist, which is kind of cool. It reminds me of the exact kind of game that I was that that I've been missing for a really long time. Just this very character driven, this very character driven action platformer type deal where like you, you would have platformers like. Hat in Time or like or like Mario and you would have action RPGs like, you know, any number of, of them. But you never really had like a strong mix of that kind of thing. It's this goes back to like Jade Empire, like Beyond Good and Evil, stuff like that. And this looked like a really cool, not not spiritual successor to Beyond Good and Evil, but it, it reminded me a lot of like those kinds of games. So I'm totally I'm actually like surprisingly looking forward to this. It's important to note, so Ember Lab is an interesting team to read about because this is their first game. Yeah. But they were, they're actually a commercial studio. They did like animated shorts and commercials. They worked for Coke and Major League Baseball and others on doing stuff. So this is their first game. And it's also important to note, which I don't think they note in the trailer or at least during the presentation, but this game is coming to PS4 as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a PS4 and PS5 console exclusive. So PlayStation console exclusive. It looks really good. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more about that. Mm-hmm. We knew about this game already, but I don't think we saw too much about it. Solar Ash. So these are the this is from Heart Machine. Heart Machine is the studio that made a pretty well received game called Hyperlight Drifter. Yeah, that came to PS3, PS4 and Vita back in the day and other platforms. This game looks pretty good. I, I'm not 
I didn't like Hyperlight Drifter at all. Actually, I just couldn't get into the art. I couldn't get into the style. It seems like they're going again with a really obtuse aesthetic, which I think is fine. It looks a little more straightforward than what we saw in Hyperlight Drifter, which I just couldn't get behind. So this game's coming to PS5 in 2021. Solar Ash from Heart Machine. Do you have anything to say about this one? Uh, I would I'd probably just echo what you said. It looks neat. I, I like uh, how the trailer like kind of like started with you like eventually kind of like walking onto the ceiling and the perspective shift and you like jumping down onto like a dragon thing. There's very there's still not much that we know about the game as far as like a as far as what the gameplay actually is. But I dig the art style. But that's another asterisk for me where it's like uh, I'm going to have to see like what this actually is. I'm really excited I'm not excited, but I'm interested. I, I want to say excited. That's not true. But I'm really interested in this game they showed called Destruction All-Stars. Yeah. This was what I was talking about, about needing vehicular combat, like a Destruction Derby type stuff in PvP on PlayStation 5. This seems to kind of fill that need, although I think it would have been cooler if it was a Twisted Metal game. This comes from Lucid Games. Lucid Games is a British studio that has wor- long worked with PlayStation. They did a few things, They including the uh, Jacob Jones game. So if people remember Jacob Jones was this PS Vita adventure game that was actually really awesome. They only released two Jacob Jones games. The second one didn't even come to Vita. And then they did some stuff on Android and iOS for Sony as well, including PlayStation Vita pets and all this other stuff. And they did Geometry Wars 3, which came to both Vita and PS4 and PS3 as well. So this is a studio that's not very well known and isn't huge, but I think they might be on to something with this game just because I think it fills this niche that's really needed. We didn't get a release date for it. We don't know what other platforms it's coming to, but we know it's coming to PS5 at the very least. What did you make of this Destruction All-Stars game? Yeah, I this one struck me. I, uh, well, first of all, immediately, I hate the art style of this. I, I hate how like everything's starting to look like a Fortnite skin. Or just like a like a wacky for the sake of being wacky kind of mess, but as a concept, as like what the game is, I'm all about it. Uh, the idea of like kind of twisted metal meets like burnout meets Rocket League is kind of like interesting. I think it works really well as far as like solving that problem that we were talking about last week, or like one of the previous episodes about twisted metal and like how can a game like that really survive now? And I think the fact that in this game you can be knocked out of your vehicle and then you're just sort of <laughs> stuck as like a human being in this destruction derby is is really fun and like an interesting idea i agree that it really kind of it it would have benefited more from just being twisted metal because i feel like twisted metal could have easily evolved to suit this kind of gameplay but i'll take what i can get as far as like vehicular combat games go because there's very very little and it looks fun, if nothing else. I just wish things didn't look like a like a goddamn Fortnite skin all the time. Yeah, I can. I, I totally understand what you're saying from the aesthetic. Yeah. It is a little off putting. I do like some of the masks, like those kind of unsettling masks. Yeah, yeah. that they're wearing in the racing. It's not, stuff. It's it's not got, all. It's not all bad, but like so, some yeah. parts of it jumped out at me. Like, oh god, this again. How about this game, Stray, that they showed comes in 2021 to PS5. It's from at least being published by Annapurna. Um, who people might know that's obviously a movie studio uh, Annapurna Pictures but they have a uh, a branch called Annapurna Interactive the first game they published was actually Giant Sparrow's What Remains of Edith Finch which people might recall was originally supposed to be a PlayStation exclusive until it was released they're actually also publishing Solar Ash so they were really involved in this a studio called Blue 12 is making Stray and 
I think this game actually looks pretty neat. I'm not sure that I need to be playing as like a cat. It's a little weird to me, but what did you make of this game? This uh, stray game? Uh, like I, I like the setting and I like the idea of just like what is it kind of reminds me of like inside almost where it's like, oh, OK, we're just sort of like going through this world that's kind of telling a story in the background. The premise of playing as a cat is kind of neat. I don't think we I don't, that doesn't really exist, <laughs> really, as far as I know. There's not many, very many cat genre games, but uh, this looks cool. I, I, I'm I'm not uh, against this at all. I, I'm curious as to see what kind of game it's going to be, like as far as like the tone and everything else. Like like is it like a, do you fight in this? Like what's what's the deal? But it looks cool. I like it. It's 2021, so we've got a a little bit of a wait for it. Yeah, so this is a French team. I don't know much about them. I was re- trying to read a little bit about them, but there's not much out there about this Blue 12 studio. I can only find references in Blue 12 to Star Wars, which I guess is some sort of squadron of X-Wings or Y-Wings, mm-hmm. I guess from the novelization. So like, it's a pretty nerdy sort of situation going on over here yeah but they might also be french canadian i don't know but they're french for for sure so that game comes out in 2021 as well another game called goodbye volcano high was shown very artistic looking game pretty game a little unsettling with its anamorphic characters it almost reminds me of some of this perverted shit that's going on online (laughs) uh do you have anything to say about this game goodbye volcano high i did nothing (laughs) <laughs> I was so deeply unsettled uh, the whole time. I'm sure someone will like it. <laughs> it is definitely like not. I feel like this was made specifically to repel me. Uh, <laughs> I, I I can't. I can't. It looks like it like kind of like it looks like a visual novel kind of kind of deal, which yeah, I, which is. I'm already yeah. kind of like not the biggest fan of. So add in anthropomorphic anything really to the to the degree that they're anthropomorphized in this. Like, I think you can have, like, a Ratchet and Clank kind of deal where it's like, ah, you know, that's vaguely human. But, like, this was just, like, there was there was one character with a really long lips. And it was, uh, <laughs> I just, I, I, I felt fear in, in the most. That was your first, that was your first instinct? Was fear? Yeah, yeah. Fight or flight Fair kicked enough. in, was kicking in the whole, the whole time. Sure, I can understand that. Yeah, it's not my kind of game. It is a, it is an adventure game. I'm not sure what the plan is from there, but uh, it it does exist. Let's say that it, it exists. This game exists and it, it looks incredibly unsettling. How about <laughs> this game? Jet the far shore. This looks like it's going to be a launch game and it looks fine. I don't really know much about it. It looks mm. a little bit obtuse. So I'm wondering, um, I, don't, I don't know. You know what it reminds me a little bit of is what was that game called? Like Chase the Sun Oh, I don't you know. know. What I'm talking about. I don't know what the hell you're saying. <laughs> I don't think that was what it was called. It, it was reminded called something like that. Th- this yeah. Re- what, what does it remind you of? This reminded me a little bit of 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 Journey because you have like a character kind of like swaying through sand and swaying through like waves and stuff. This was this is the one where like the title like slowly faded in over the over the gameplay, right? Right. And it, and it was like a little bit jarring. It doesn't look bad. Uh, it doesn't look great. It, it just sort of looks like something that exists. Like, I, I feel like I just don't know what this what this game really is. Of of all the games that I saw, it's the one that I have, like, the least understanding of. So I, it, it's hard to even really say anything about it. it. It feels like it could be Journey-esque, but it also feels like 
we weren't even necessarily seeing gameplay. It's 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 it's, it's a weird one. I don't know how to I don't know how to feel about it. It is interesting. So this is a game from Super Brothers, and this is only their second game, but they've been ex- in existence for almost twenty years. And they made uh, Sword and Sorcery, which people might remember, mm-hmm. which uh, was published actually by Capybara. Oh, is that the uh, is that the like the the pixel art one with the like the tall the tall guy? Yeah, it's a two D side scroller. It is pixel art. Yeah, and it has like the tall lanky dude. Yeah, yeah, I played that. Yeah. So this is the same studio that's making this game. I agree. I don't know the game I'm thinking of, by the way is Race the Sun, mm. which is an awesome game. If people haven't played Race the Sun, that game's fucking rad. <laughs> and I don't know if it's a I don't know if it's a similar game. I don't know if I'm just misinterpreting what's going on, but that is another one that it was shown. Some of the peripherals that were shown include a, a remote control and a 1080p camera and a charging station for the console. Anything to say about any of that? There's nothing too interesting there, I don't think. Yeah, not really. And I think that is everything yeah i think Did so we too. miss anything i think that's all of the games including according to my notes yeah that's all according to me too yeah so that's uh that's a lot of content yeah what did you think about their overall presentation how do you think sony did i i think it was good i think overall there were there were things that i was interested in and the stuff that i wasn't interested in i was really just sort of not interested in based on a, a predicated disinterest like stuff with uh I don't know, NBA 2K, like I'm just not going to play in, in any context. Uh, and anything else that I wasn't interested in were just things that like have asterisk that was like, OK, well, uh, I'm going to need to see more before I begin to care. But overall, we saw some pretty cool stuff. Nothing necessarily looked super next gen. Ironically, like I think the thing that looked the most next generation was Ratchet and Clank. Which is weird, <laughs> but yeah, Ratchet looks Ratchet looks great. That yeah, that uh, that looks like the most next generation out of all the things that we saw, which is like super weird to me. But overall, I think it was a strong showcase. I think uh, everything that they showed was was cool. I'm glad that we finally saw the machine. Yeah, I, I think it was overall pretty pretty good. Yeah, I thought they did a really nice job too. And we'll get into more of this next next week. I know a lot of people wrote in. We just don't have the ability to kind of integrate all these questions right now. Yeah, and inquiries that people submitted to us on Patreon, but. I thought that they did a nice job. I thought that they had a sh- they showed what they showed a nice cross section of first party, second party and third party games. And by the way, one of the questions we have later on in the show will ask us uh, to kind of spe- specify what the difference is between first, second and third party. So we'll go into all of that. OK, but whether you show a game like Gran Turismo 7 that pleases a certain subsection, Spider-Man obviously pleases a subsection. Ratchet's going to please another subsection of people. You had some nice stuff from Talking Heads, whether it's Jim Ryan, it's good to see Shuhei Yoshida, it's always good to see Herman Holst, etc. And then you have some games that we had already seen, like Godfall and Oddworld's, Oddworld Soulstorm and Ghostwire Tokyo. You see some new games like Destruction All-Stars, Hitman 3, Sackboy, A Big Adventure. We see games that we already knew existed, again, like Deathloop, Demon's Souls, obviously long rumored. So I think they did a really nice job. I think this was a much stronger presentation than Xbox's presentation so far. And I think that this mm-hmm. and, and I, I do want to reiterate that the the loss of the ISIS Al Qaeda <laughs> hostage video situation that Microsoft had going, I think, really stands out here. I think I was totally right about that. It just adds a different presentational layer to what yeah. you're expecting to see. And I just didn't understand why they, Microsoft couldn't handle that better. I would. have. Yeah. My instinct is telling me that it's because it was a third party showcase. That would be like the only reason that I could see it's like, yeah, mm. let's just get this together quick because their first party showcase is the one that they probably care more about. 
and that's obviously happening in July. So we'll see how that looks and whether or not they still take cues from the OG Bin Laden. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, he is the OG, isn't he? I get. I, well, so you know, he's he's uh, the OG of that 480p shaky cam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Footage. He was the first content creator. <laughs> 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 that's good stuff <laughs> all right chris there's other news to get through yeah. we can move through it pretty quickly i think mm-hmm. but there's other news to get through that has nothing to do with the ps5 event and i'm curious especially what you think of this first one so let's get through the rest of this news talk about it get to the audience questions comments concerns thoughts and ideas and then we can wrap things up number one destiny 2 is getting substantial dlc and expansion support as revealed during a bungie live stream Better yet, the popular online FPS will receive continuous support through at least 2022, an essential piece of information in a crowded and competitive ubiquitous multiplayer scene. The most immediate expansion is due out on September 22nd and is called Beyond Light. Beyond Light takes place on Europa, one of Jupiter's many moons. The expansion will obviously add new missions, weapons, subclasses, a new raid, and a new power too. While Bungie wasn't forthcoming with specific details on the other two expansions that will bring Destiny 2 through 2022, we do know their names. The Witch Queen will launch at some point in 2021, and Lightfall will launch at some point in 2022. Destiny 2 launched in September of 2017 and was originally published by Activision, the original funder of Bungie's Destiny series. Beginning in 2019, however, Bungie gained full control of its IP from the controversial publisher, and while rumors indicate that the developer, originally best known for the early Halo games, is working on a new IP, it appears Destiny 2 will remain its bread and butter for the foreseeable future. So, Chris... What did you think about all this? Again, we did, uh, or you did by yourself, Sacred Symbols Plus last week. Yeah. Or earlier this week, I should say, if you're listening to this on Patreon, you can go listen to that. Check that out. Chris went an hour, used his expertise on the series. What do you make of uh, what Bungie showed for Destiny 2 and its uh, strong support of the game going through 2022? I'm excited about it. It's it's good. Like, uh, there was nothing about that stream that didn't hit on something that I wanted to see. They're bringing back some, an old destination that I think is like, Pretty pretty huge to a lot of Destiny fans, like the Cosmodrome on Earth, which is where you first wake up, is coming back into the game. They announced all sorts of old content that people don't really play anymore is leaving to make room for that, obviously because games are... There's no reason for a game to be <laughs> over 100 gigabytes, looking at Modern Warfare in particular. But yeah, it's good to know that they have a plan. It, it feels like they've finally... It feels like they have their footing on what on the story and like the narrative and how, like how the lore is tying into everything that you're doing. It feels like they have a solid plan uh, to introduce things on like a solid pace. It seems like they're getting their their. It seems like they're finding their footing with the seasonal model as well because this season's already starting off really good. I'm all about it. Like this is uh, very good and inspires a lot of confidence because you know like uh, there were rumors that like oh you know this. The, there were rumors of like Destiny 3 and like how like, oh, you know, they're working on something else and they're going to leave it behind. And it's it's good to establish that confidence early to know that like, hey, you know, what? we're sticking we're sticking with this for a while and we have a plan and we, we know what's going to happen. And it all makes sense if you understand the underlying things that are happening. Then a lot of the then those titles of those next expansions are particularly exciting. It would have been nice to see them kind of do something else. But I mean, there's there's always there's always time for that after all this anyway. Yeah, it, it really doesn't draw up the question of if we needed a Destiny 2 at all or if they could have just, you know, seen it through. Well, which is, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, I have no question that that's the original vision 
and I have no doubt in my mind that if Activision was still the publisher of Destiny, you would be seeing a Destiny 3 this year. Uh, because this expansion seems particularly robust. It seems like you're getting a whole new destination. It seems like getting a new subclass and a new damage type is, is pretty huge. That hasn't happened ever uh, in the series history. And that's it has like a lot of implications for how the game's going to work as like a functioning uh, combat suite. So it's it's I'm just happy that they're finally free of any obligation to just pump out an arbitrary numbered game. I kind of want them to drop the two altogether. You know, that would be cool. Make it a, a platform like we've been. So we just said earlier for Gran Turismo. Yeah. You know, make it something that we, we that we can rely on for 10 years. Yeah. You know, I, I think that would be really neat. I agree with you. Better, better late than never, I guess. I'm interested in what you think of this, though. Yeah. Evan Biederman wrote into us, said, hey, fellas, with all due respect to Chris, whoa, it's thundering outside. Ooh. I disagree on what he told you about Destiny 2 last week. Chris's impression of Destiny 2 is biased by the fact that he plays it with friends, so he considers it more a multiplayer game. I want to assure you that it can absolutely be enjoyed as a solo player. I poured over 1,000 hours into Destiny 2. That's absurd. Plus as many into Destiny 1, and I can assure you that the game is plenty enjoyable on your own. Just like in The Division, there's great campaign, side quests, and plenty of cool loot to chase. The gunplay still feels unmatched to me, and it scratches the same itch that Borderlands 2 did back in the day. I've probably played at least 70% of my time alone or at worst with some random match made players whom you can completely ignore in a cooperative PVE activity like strikes. No communication is needed and no loot is shared. The only time you really need to talk to someone is for raids, which are a lot of fun and I'd be happy to play with you. But a pretty small part, a pretty small, a pretty small part of the game that isn't for everyone. Even the PVP doesn't require require any communication at the casual levels and it's pretty fun, but can be safely ignored. So this is speaking to Chris when we were talking last week about if I should jump into Destiny 2 alone, I really enjoy playing games like The Division and The Division 2 alone. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I can get a lot out of those games. A few people took umbrage with the fact that you said that you really did, couldn't play it alone or wouldn't enjoy it alone. What do you think about what Evan said here? Well, uh, I, I mean, I think it's totally valid. I think I'm just trying to. Uh, I, that was maybe I was overcorrecting myself because I know I'm so biased. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't want to be like if ever if any, any if at any point somebody's like, hey, should I jump into Destiny 2? I always have to like knock myself down a little bit because I would just automatically say yes because I just love it but yeah I mean he's right like a lot of the activities don't require you to communicate and they don't require you to really do it with other people you can enjoy it on your own the gunplay is really good uh and I I agree it's like probably like the best feeling it's the best weapon feedback in any FPS to me but specifically something that you said was you don't mind it's not communicating with players that bothers you it's them being there at all right right that's true and and that's kind of the thing it's like there are always going to be people with you like there are certain areas where like in story missions that you go into like you go out in public bubbles and then you go into private bubbles to continue stories so they're they're not a factor in that but for the most part you're always going to be around other people so if, if that's something that bothers you to a degree that i think it might then it might get in the way of your enjoyment of the game. I don't feel that way. I think they're easily ignored too, and I think it's actually really fun to just sort of fuck around with other people. But I was trying to view it more through your lens while still being somebody who's trying to recommend it. No, that makes sense to me. I I hear what you're saying, because, yeah, I don't want the presence of anyone. Yeah. It's their presence that bothers me. (laughs) Then you go from a... Then you go from... A jump up from that, and then you have to talk to them, and I don't want to. Definitely don't want to do that. But yeah, yeah. I don't even like people being around. It yeah. gives me fucking agita having <laughs> someone around. You know, you definitely don't need to uh, 
you definitely don't need to talk to anybody and you don't need other players to enjoy it. But, you know, that is a that is a factor for Colin specifically (laughs) that I don't think is a factor for many people. But no, it's definitely not. Yeah, I I get I just straight up get Ajita. Like when my mom gets Ajita once, you know, every five seconds when she says she gets Ajita. What is Ajita? What is that? It's Ajita is a very tri-state. I'm surprised you don't know that word. It's a very tri-state area word that no one uses except for except for Italian people, basically. And it's just basically means like anxiety or like indigestion. A-G-I-T-A. Agita. Yeah. You know, like like I would come home and I'd be like, Mom, I want something to eat. And she'd be, you know, and she'd be like, you give me Agita. You know, <laughs> I've, like never, I've never heard that in my entire life. Oh, yeah. It's very Italian. Very Italian. I'm sure I will get some letters about that. Write in about your Agita. Number two. The Last of Us Part 2, due out exclusively on PS4 on June 19th in the coming days, has shockingly extensive accessibility options, according to a post about the game on the PlayStation blog. Indeed, there are a staggering 60 accessibility settings far in excess of 2016's Uncharted 4 at Thief's End, which also toted a surprising number of options. For starters, the settings can be accessed individually or used as part of, a th- of three presets, one for vision impairment, one for hearing impairment, and one for motor impairment. The game allows for granular controller remapping. Each and every input can be remapped and the controller's orientation, stick use, combat controls and more can be altered. Any button input that requires tapping can be altered so that a button only needs to be held and various combat assist functions above and beyond your usual aim assist are also in the game. The game's HUD can be altered in myriad ways, including size, color, contrast and more. And the game also allows for multiple magnification settings. The Last of Us Part 2 likewise has a ton of settings for motion sickness, allowing you to use sliders to alter camera shake, motion motion blur, field of view, and more. For those who have trouble playing games more traditionally, you can get assistance in navigating the environment, traversing obstacles, using listen mode, and you can even skip entire puzzles. Various granular combat options also exist, allowing you to alter whether enemies can grab you, their combat skill and perception, their ability to dodge, weapon sway, and more. Hints can be turned on or off or even set to only appear sometimes or most of the time. And other notifications like dodge prompts and pickup prompts can be toggled as well. And finally, there are six different ways to alter the game's overall difficulty level, each with between five and six sub settings. You could alter the game's overall challenge, player related challenge, enemy related challenge, ally related challenge, stealth related challenge and resource related challenge. This is good shit. Yeah, that's, that's pretty great. The, the thing that sticks out to me is field of view, which is always nice. I knew I thought about you when I was writing this. I know you love field of view. <laughs> it's great. I know you love that. We got a letter from Nigel the Mini. who said, hello again, masticatious Moriarty and mandibular, 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 Maldonado, mandibular. Thank you, Maldonado. I need you. I needed you there. Thank you. <laughs> After reading Push Square's article about The Last of Us 2's difficulty and accessibility settings, I got even more excited about the game, but also the next generation of consoles. I love Shadow of the Tomb Raider's three-point difficulty, allowing combat, exploration, and puzzles to be changed independently. I thought that was super cool, too. Yeah. It felt rather fresh. Seeing Naughty Dog's expansion of this idea and knowing Sony is going to study how players use these features to ostensibly improve other first-party ti- first party titles, what kind of impact do you think this will make on the industry as a whole? Does the average gamer care enough to dig into these settings and signal to Sony that it is worth their effort? And if so, would Sony see this as a way to draw in players outside a game's core audience to expand sales? Chris, I don't know if this is true or not to the nth degree, but I was reading that this level of granularity in terms of their accessibility settings will allow even a person who is ostensibly blind to play the game. 
with audio cues and all of this. Huh. So I'm wondering how you feel about this because so much work goes into this. Yeah. That I can't help but appreciate the level of detail here. But I'm also curious how many people are really going to use this stuff. So what do you think? Well, first of all, this is super impressive. It's a huge suite of uh, customizability that I think uh, games should have. I, th- I think that's totally reasonable. I think it obviously takes a lot of work to get this stuff working uh, and a lot of a lot of work to bug test specifically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The QA must be a nightmare for this. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I yeah. wouldn't even be surprised if it's the reason why it's taken so long to come out. <laughs> like just straight up. But I, what the fuck is I think somebody's like dropping weights into the pool next to my apartment. That's cool. <laughs> but I think um, overall, I think it's it's really cool. I like I agree with like the whole the, the idea that uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider's like three point difficulty thing was like really cool. Like that was like the one thing that I noticed specifically that was exceptional about that game is that the fact that it let you do that in the first place. And the fact that there are sliders for it here uh, and a lot more granular detail is really cool. I don't believe this is going to be used by the overwhelming majority of people. I don't think it's going to be used by even a sizable fraction of people. But the fact that it is available there in the first place is a good enough reason to have it. Because it uh, it allows, essentially, everybody to like the game. It allows everybody to fine-tune the game to their preferences, and it would be hard for somebody to... F- it would be hard based on all these settings that exist. I feel like it would be difficult for somebody to not have their ideal version of The Last of Us 2 playable for them. So I think it's a smart allocation of resources, even if it's not necessarily going to be utilized by any sizable number of people. Yeah, to be even more curt, I think it's just good PR. Yeah. Like the accessibility debate in the industry has raged for a while. And it raged a lot about, if you might recall, about Sekiro. And about how the game is just unplayable to some people. And that was a that was a reference really to its difficulty. Now, I don't think that every game needs to have difficulty sliders. I think it's okay for FromSoft, for instance, to make games really hard and not accessible to people. I think that's totally fine. Yeah. But I think on the other end of the spectrum, Chris, like when the pendulum swings, it's cool that this is the I really do think The Last of Us Part Two is going to be maybe the most AAA game we've ever played. And for them to have gone into that level of detail is impressive and really i think something that deserves to be praised because we've we've discussed in the past i really like that xbox one commercial with the disabled kid that's using that that uh rectangular controller the what what is that called oh my do you, god do you remember i i knew it at one point but the, yeah the, yeah it's, like, it's a... like this controller that like is good for people that can't play games traditionally yeah so they can remap at things and have a little bit more access if they have motor problems or whatever and i loved that that commercial because it's it makes a kid who wants to partake he's able to partake yeah and it doesn't mean that he has to do it with everything but it's cool that the first parties are worrying about that and we saw that with microsoft and that controller with xbox and now we're seeing it with sony because naughty dog is owned by sony they're the marquee studio in that the crown jewel in that first party family and they're putting a lot of work in to make sure that their marquee game is playable for all And I think that that's really praiseworthy. Now, I'm a developer now and I don't make games like this, but I can't I can't even begin to think about this level of access. And it's not something that's going to be in our games. But if you have the resources and to make this happen, if you can dedicate one or two people to do this, 
in your team of 250 people and your $150 million budget. I think that that's really cool. It's only going to benefit you from a PR standpoint, from a marketing standpoint. It makes your game accessible. It makes your name notable to people in those communities. It doesn't make it seem like you're ignoring them and their want to play games traditionally. Yeah. And I so I think it's all upside. And I'm For really sure, happy yeah. to see it. It was the uh, yeah. adaptive controller is what it was called. Adaptive controller. That's right. And a real, if people haven't seen that commercial, just go look up the adaptive commercial, adaptive controller commercial. And it's it's really heartwarming. Yeah. And uh, makes kids that are disabled feel more included in what is otherwise. Uh, it's we're, we're in an industry and in a, in a medium that's not accessible to the disabled in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe it shouldn't be or couldn't be in a lot of ways if you have real vision impairment or if you are missing a hand or something. There's only so much you can do about that. But I think it's cool to try to include as many people as possible. It only helps our medium. It doesn't hurt at all. For sure. And as long as it's not a thing that has to be done, then I'm totally fine with that. Because then it makes it because then, Chris, it makes the people that go above and beyond all that more impressive. Because no, it's yeah. not something that's mandatory to pass QA or whatever. You know? Yeah, exactly. Number three, in a profile on Naughty Dog Vice President Neil Druckmann in GQ's UK magazine. By the way, you guys should go look this thing up. It's really, really good to read. A few interesting facts and tidbits were discussed, not only about Druckmann's pet, The Last of Us franchise, but other Naughty Dog games as well. And they're facts worth discussing. For starters, we have updated sales figures on the original Last of Us launched in 2013 on PlayStation 3 and in 2014 on PlayStation 4. That lone game has passed a staggering 17 million units sold. Its sequel, which will be reviewed by major outlets by the time this episode publishes, will clock in at between 25 and 30 hours long, making it a solid 10 hours longer than the original. The article also makes note that Naughty Dog's four Uncharted games have grossed more than a billion dollars combined. And finally, Druckmann is quoted near the end of the article as stating that The Last of Us Part 3 it is, is a distinct possibility. He and the team will either move, either move on to that or onto a new IP. Chris, what do you think about this? We don't really necessarily have to talk about the sales figures, but what do you think about the possibility of The Last of Us Part 3 as uh, opposed to a new IP out of Naughty Dog? What do you want to see? Having not played it, Having not having not played The Last of Us Part Two yet, I don't want a third one. <laughs> I, I I I don't even I, I didn't even really want a second one. So I I would hope that this is the last one, and then they go on to something new and and something different and something that people don't necessarily expect from Naughty Dog. I would hate to see another seven years go by waiting for a third part. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe the game is. Maybe maybe the game will will make the case for a sequel for me, and uh, maybe I'll end up wanting one. He makes a really interesting point in this article. Again, I really recommend people go read it. It's super fascinating, and I know Neil personally, so a lot of it resonated with me. You know his inquisitiveness, his his sometimes quiet, his ability to be comfortable in silence. This is all things. These are the things that I've noticed with him as well when we go out to eat or talk. He makes an interesting point that he didn't really want to do the sequel to begin with. Which is something that I think they've been pretty open with. And then they found their way through and he didn't write it by himself. So he has another writer on board who is one of the writers from Westworld, which is a a great and beloved HBO show. But the point is made that I guess the player will demand this or not. And I like that he pointed out particularly that it would have been an easy cop out for him to be like, we can make as many sequels as we want and just focus on other people's stories. But that The Last of Us is not really about that. It's about these two particular people. So as long as they continue to tell stories about them, then I guess there'll be a relevant place for them to tell those stories. Otherwise, it's not really The Last of Us. And I thought that that was a really candid response. 
So people can go check that out if they want. Go read it. You can just Google around and find it. Uh, Anthony Basie, Basie. How do you think you say that? B a s y e. Uh, B. Basie. Anthony. Basie. Yeah, that's good. Chris is dyslexic, but it's sometimes sometimes he can read. (laughs) I think this is one of those instances. He wrote into us on Patreon, said, "With the Last of Us Part Two releasing soon, what are your sales expectations?" I know the original is around 13 million. Now we know it's about 17 million, but that is compounded between PS3 and PS4. I, be- I believe the majority of original sales come from the PS4 release. That is true. I am wondering if this makes half of that. I am thinking 10 million lifetime would be top. Given the spoilers, economy and next gen on the horizon, this may have to be a slower start. What do you think, Chris? 10 million sold? Uh, I think you could probably bet safely bet on 10 million. Yeah, I think that's a pretty safe bet. I don't know if the spoilers economy and next gen on the horizon really matter that much. I think everybody who's excited about this game is probably going to get it regardless. And I think um, the next generation being on the horizon didn't really affect the original Last of Us, which launched a couple months before the next console, the, that next generation. So I, I don't yeah, see how it's, that... it's almost the exact same time. I mean, same mid-June, same. Yeah. Day. So uh, I, it's, yeah. it's funny. Like, I think I saw on Twitter, actually, like the... Um, the PS4 like reveal event was actually, I think, a few like exactly the same distance between the launch of the original Last of Us as this was to the launch of the Last of Us Two or something like that. Mm. It's kind of neat. Yeah. Well, the the launch the reveal event was in February. February. Yeah. Yeah, and then they did another event. I think in June. I yeah. think we saw the console at E3. I don't really. I can't keep the shit straight anymore. I'm getting too old. I'm also <laughs> yeah. drink, I'm also drinking a lot today, so. That also has something to do with it, I'm sure. Yeah, I think 10 million is a safe bet. That would be one in 12 PS4 owners. That seems low to me, but I just don't know, to Anthony's point, what the hunger is right now with the economy. I think that is somewhat relevant. Mm-hmm. But I also think that The Last of Us Part Two is going to be playable on PS5. So I think people can wait. And we all know that unlike Nintendo first party games, for instance, these, these prices eventually drop. Right. They're not going to hold their price. So if someone wants to wait... You're eventually going to be able to get this game for 40, eventually get this game for 10 if you wait long enough, you know, a couple of years. So I think that that's kind of an effect, too. But yes, yeah, 17 million units sold. So it's actually sold more than even Spider-Man. That's wild. Number four, in addition to some Naughty Dog related sales figures, some other sales data has also been released this time from two Japanese games. Website Komatsu reports that Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, the well-received Castlevania-inspired Metroidvania game from ex-Castlevania producer Koji Igarashi, has officially surpassed a million units sold. Yeah. Ritual of the Night launched on PS4 and elsewhere almost a year ago to the date. Gamatsu also reports that fighting game Blaze Blue Cross Tag Battle has surpassed 450,000 units sold. Cross Tag Battle first came to PS4 and elsewhere back in mid-2018. Shout out to Koji Igarashi. Ritual of the Night is a very well-realized, although unfortunately 2.5D game, and <laughs> I loved it. It's awesome. Awesome game. So shout out to him for a million units sold. Chris, I'm interested in what you think of this one. Mm-hmm. Number five, Valorant. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Or I didn't know if it was Valorant or Valorant. Uh, the yeah, mega popular... Yeah. Fr- fr- do you know what it is? Is it, It's Valorant, right? Yeah, yeah it's Valorant. I assume, because like Valor. Okay. Yeah. The mega popular free to play FPS from League of Legends developer Riot Games is currently only available on PC, but it's possible that may change according to a brief statement given to website GameSpot. Indeed, the game is being actively prototyped on console, presumably both PlayStation and Xbox, according to the game's executive producer, Anna Donlin. 
quote, but there's a, there's a way to play this game and there's a way to experience this game that we're not entirely sure translated completely to console play, end quote, she said. Riot's hang up, hang up, apparently, I'm sorry, is making all possible versions of the game fully comparable with one another. She later told GameSpot, quote, if we feel like we can deliver this experience on those platforms, we absolutely will. But we really wanted Valorant to stand for a certain type of gameplay and a certain type of experience, end quote. If Valorant were to come to console, it would be the very first Riot game to migrate off of PC and smartphones. It's 2009 smash hit League of Legends, which still has a vibrant player base 11 years later, is still locked to computer, though its future games, Project L, a fighting game, and Project F, an action RPG, may also come to console, though that remains to be seen. What do you think of this, Chris? Because I've noticed as I've been streaming on Twitch, Long Island Viper, that this game is being played by fucking megatons of people. Mm-hmm. And I was a little surprised to read when I was reading about it and poking around that they haven't even announced a port yet. You think this game would be an obvious game to port. What do you think about their willingness to do so and their kind of insistence that the game remains even on all platforms? Yeah, I, I Valorant, I haven't played it yet, but from what I've seen, it looks like a very high accuracy kind of game. It looks like a like a Counter-Strike kind of experience. And it's uh, uh, FPS is like that. I don't know. I, I don't really know if they translate super well to console like like you cannot really play Team Fortress 2 reliably on a console. You can't really play Counter-Strike on a console reliably. It runs on it and you could kind of walk around and maybe shoot things a little bit but those games are really hyper designed around their input methods and uh i it's it's a lot easier to go from console to pc than it is pc to console uh fps is a very very tricky kind of genre to deal with when you're when you're talking about porting like when when you port like something like tomb raider to the pc it's like it's just nothing. It's just you add keyboard and mouse support and that's it. Like it's it's very little effect on the game. But a competitive FPS that like, you know, kill time is specifically designed with, you know, the accuracy of the input in mind and like all sorts of other things depend on the input method. It's it's I could see why they might want to hold off. I wouldn't be surprised if this never happens because it just it seems very PC specific. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I think Riot is one of those publishers slash developers that don't really need console. So yeah, I don't know that they're really that worried about getting Valorant over to the console. Although I just think it's another way for them to compete. I was surprised when I was looking at their games, their list of games that nothing has come out on console from them so far. I thought that maybe something would have snuck out at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't really seem to be that interested and they might be one of the few developers that doesn't really need it. I mean, they have 2,500 or so employees and no console games that just they just totally live on PC. But I think it would be a nice way for them to segue because fighting games aren't huge on PC and action RPGs are fine on PC, but they really have their home on console. So with projects L and F, which are the code names for their upcoming games, you think you might want to maybe just get a foothold, get your name out there to people that might not know it and all of this. And if you're that worried about the competitive balance, then just don't have crossplay. I don't think you necessarily need to have that. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's it's less about crossplay and and more about like the user experience of even just playing the game with an input method that wasn't designed for like for the game for the ground up. Like like Counter Strike on, on console doesn't have crossplay with with PC and and um you know other games like it don't have crossplay with PC, but they're still they're just not fun. They're not good on PC on console. Like there's a reason why. The most popular uh, FPS is on console, and the most comp- popular uh, FPS is 
on PC, even when both of them are available on both platforms, are completely different. And mm. it's because input method it really does impact the design of an FPS game a lot in, in ways that it wouldn't really affect an action RPG or a fighting game. Because in a fighting game, yeah, those are based on console. Those are based on control pads uh, or, or controllers. But you could plug in a controller to your PC, and that's how everybody who plays fighting games on PC will play a fighting game. You can't, as a PC player, just plug your mouse and keyboard into a console and and get that experience. It it it's a lot. It's it's tricky. Like FPS design is 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 very very finicky. Well, we'll see what happens with this. I'll be keeping a close eye on this because this could be a real massive game changer. Pardon the pun on console where they don't really have to compete with the likes of Riot. Yeah, and I think that that would be a huge competitor, especially because like we're seeing games like um that Amazon game that was just released. Oh yeah, a few Crucible. weeks ago that has already basically died on the vine, and so. There's not a lot of room for competitors, but a big, bulky competitor that could throw some elbows like Valorant, I think, would really change the game, the nature of free to play mm-hmm. on console permanently. So I will uh, I think they're absolutely stupid to not try to get at the console, but we will see what happens. Yeah. Number six, Sony's European branch, known colloquially as Sony Europe, has been ordered to pay a modest three point five million dollar penalty in regard to, quote, false and misleading representations on its website and in dealing with Australian consumers, end quote. According to a post on the official website of the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, four separate players complained about purchasing, quote, faulty PlayStation games, end quote, in regard to Sony Europe's representation that once a game has been downloaded, a refund is no longer required, which flies in the face of Australian consumer law. While it's unclear which game or games the four consumers complain about as being faulty or in what way the game was faulty, it appears that even Sony's offer to pay one of the consumers back with a PSN refund as opposed to cash refunds was insufficient. The blog post notes in part, quote, consumers who buy digital products online have exactly the same rights as they would if they made the purchase at a physical store. No matter where in the world the company has its headquarters, if it is selling to Australian consumers, the Australian consumer law applies, end quote. Kyle Carroll wrote into us on uh, Kyle Carroll. I didn't say that name. I said Kyle Carroll. Kyle Carroll wrote in. Said Konichiwa, Colin Senpai, and Chris Chan. I hope you find husbandos are doing well this week. Last Friday, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, or ACCC for short, landed a critical hit on Sony's wallet. A $3.5 million Australian dollar lawsuit, in fact, which is roughly $2.5 million and some change in the U.S. Sony was slapped with the suit after they refused to give out refunds for a handful of digital purchases. This all coming on the back of some changes made to refund law in Australia. This begs the question, gentlemen, how and why did this shit even happen? The multinational super corporation probably wipes their ass with this kind of money on a regular basis. So why not just pay the refunds and avoid the bad PR, optics, backlash, etc.? What are your thoughts? Chris, what do you make of this? I, this really plays into what, in my mind, comes back to this idea that we need to have a more robust sampling and demo system on PS5 mm-hmm. that will allow people to try games out for an hour or two just like Steam without having to buy the game. And then Sony kind of avoids all of this because I agree. First of all, I don't think the optics are that bad because no one gives a shit about this anyway. But two point four million dollars USD is also nothing to Sony at all. Even when they were losing money, that's still nothing. Do you think that the demo system and the kind of having a more robust way for people to try games and then back out will kind of ameliorate this situation? Yeah, for sure. Because then you would you would you would be able to. The thing is, like online marketplaces kind of have this problem where like the second you get something even if it's not what you wanted 
very few places allow you to refund it. And even if you could refund it, you would still have access to the thing. Like typically how it works is like, you know, if something's faulty, you send it back, you know, but you, you can't really send back something that you're not happy with if it's just permanently unlocked for you on your device, uh, which is, I think, the main reason why a lot of this kind of necessary progress on the on the front of digital marketplaces has been just sort of casually ignored for as long as they could possibly get away with it. I think a demo system would ameliorate a lot of this. I think, generally speaking, people just want the same privileges that they have with physical copies in a digital ecosystem. Because why would you not want that? Why would you want to downgrade your rights for the convenience of just a download? Like, it's, it's, it doesn't really... It's not really a fair trade. So, you know, hopefully this actually does... The thing about this is, like, I I want more protection for consumers in general in online uh, in online marketplaces. But you really could just ameliorate this with a demo system or a trial period, like we were talking about last week, or just like, hey, here's uh, an hour of this game unlocked for however you know, for like maybe like a one dollar fee or something. Even yeah, or even even not. I mean, I don't even I don't even hate the idea of letting a person download a game for free. Yeah, and then just locking it behind a thing because then they've done all the work. If they have a data cap, then they've already kind of used the data cap. It it kind of convinces them to buy it. I just think it's it's good economics. Yeah, for sure. And I was trying to read around about what game or games these guys were complaining about, but I couldn't find the answer. So I think that that also has to do with it because they're not talking about like wanting their money back because they have a regret. They're talking about a game being fucked up. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, is like, is it Days Gone? Is it what what game is it that they're talking about that was broken? Because I don't think you should be able to say, like, I regret buying this game. Yeah. I don't think that that's like a I don't think that's a thing. But I think you have the right to say, like, this game doesn't work and it's not patched properly or whatever the case might be. And I think that digital protections are going to become more increasingly important when we move more and more into this digital ecosystem, as we see with the new PS5 consoles, having a digital only solid state version, I think, is just all the sign of that. So I think that they can fix this problem by just allowing a robust game by game demo system. And then people can know what they're getting and you can convince. I bet you sales go up when you do that, too. So they might be afraid of the bandwidth cost of doing something like that. And the bandwidth cost would be significant if you're allowing people to download 20, 50, 100 gigabyte games. Yeah, and then they don't they don't actually play them but you can do all sorts of stuff you can throttle them and whatever the case might be so i'll be keeping a close eye on this moving forward i'm I'm happy that the consumers are going to be better protected we have a big australian audience to this show so i did want to give them a shout out hey mate <laughs> is that offensive oi oi and then they throw a boomerang at you and hit you right in your fucking head <laughs> yeah and that's the end of that number seven Sony has revealed the best-selling digitally sold games on the PlayStation Network for the month of May 2020. The 20 best-selling games for PS4 were in order. Grand Theft Auto V, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Minecraft, NBA 2K20, The Forest. I want to come back to that. Minecraft Dungeons, Rainbow Six Siege, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Call of Duty Black Ops 3, Stranded Deep, Maneater, which looks really good, Payday 2, FIFA 20, SnowRunner, Star Wars Battlefront 2, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Assassin's Creed Origins, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Saints Row the Third Remastered, and Streets of Rage 4. PSVR's top 10 best-selling games were in order, The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners, Gorn, Beat Saber, Job Simulator, Super Hot, Arizona Sunshine, Creed Rise to Glory, Gun Club VR, Robinson the Journey, 
and Drunken Bar Fight. Call of Duty Warzone, Fortnite, and Apex Legends were PS4's top played free-to-play games. And Fortnite, Mortal Kombat 11, and GTA Online topped the DLC and expansions list. Chris, what is going on with the forest? I don't know. What am I missing about this game? <laughs> I, uh, I cannot comprehend it. This game is in the top five every month. And I downloaded it when it came out because the game looked awesome. I think they originally showed it at PSX like years ago. And I was like, wow, this game looks really good. And so like sight unseen when it came out, I'm like, I'm totally buying this game. And I didn't like it. But it seems like it has a massive audience. It outsold Minecraft Dungeons. You know, <laughs> it's, it's pretty wild. I don't understand what's going on with this game. Someone's got to write in about the forest. Someone's got to write in about it because I'm, I'm totally missing something. <laughs> about this game because I, I the game looks awesome it sounds awesome but when i played it didn't play awesome maybe well i mean this is the best digi- digitally sold games maybe everybody just bought it because it looked cool that's true <laughs> but it keeps happening for like a year yeah well you know there's always new people yeah that's true there's always someone to take advantage of because yeah it's sold more so gta 5 call of duty modern warfare minecraft nba yeah so the fifth best selling game that's just pretty incredible. Insane to me. Number eight, a pair of games are getting cross-platform play for the very first time, while a third game just recently announced will also be given cross-platform play upon release. For starters, Hello Games divisive 2016 release No Man's Sky, which has since found both stability and a larger audience, will support cross-platform play between all three iterations of the game, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Meanwhile, Electronic Arts racing game Need for Speed Heat launched on PS4 last year and developed by Ghost Games, is also getting cross-platform play between the three, the same three platforms, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. And finally, action RPG Chivalry 2, which will be coming to both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, will allow cross-platform play between all five iterations of that game, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC. What do you think of this, specifically with No Man's Sky? They just keep making this game better. I, yeah. I can't help but appreciate it. No, it's awesome. That's great. Uh, honestly, great news. Like, I, I'm happy that that game actually, like, crawled out of me- mediocrity into a uh, out of its cave. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's a good it's the, probably the pinnacle redemption arc for a game like that. Definitely. Can't think of anything better than uh, than that redemption arc. Yeah. In terms of video games. Definitely. Number nine, not surprisingly, more game industry events have been delayed in the wake of racially charged events in the United States. Publisher Electronic Arts has postponed its EA Play digital event from its original slot earlier in June and will now run the event on June 18th. This is important news for EA because the publisher is starting to leak. Website Game Reactor reports that the much-rumored Mass Effect trilogy port will be announced during the event for PS4. And patch notes for EA Sports UFC 3 indicate that feedback will be requested via that game for EA Sports UFC 4. EA Sports UFC 3 came to PS4 in early 2018, and the Mass Effect trilogy ran from 2007 to 2012, although it didn't come to PS3 until Mass Effect 2 came to the console in 2011. The indie game showcase Guerrilla Collective has also been delayed and will now air between June 13th and June 15th. And finally, this year's Final Fantasy XIV Fan Fest has been outright canceled, though the cancellation is due to COVID-19. 2021's Fan Fest is still due to occur in the U.S. in November of 2021. Final Fantasy XIV originally came to PS3 in 2013 and PS4 in 2014. So a few more cancellations there. Mm -hmm. And then finally, Chris, the big games roundup. Number 10 is the roundup. Okay. Website IGN reports that RPG Pathfinder Kingmaker, which came to PC back in 2018, is coming to PS4 in definitive edition form on August 18th and will include all six DLC packs. 
IGN also reports that Alex Kidd in Miracle World DX, a remake of the 1986 Sega Master System platformer, is coming to PS4 at an undetermined point in the future. Website Komatsu reports that Shooter Foreclosed is coming to PS4 in 2021, that FPS Metal Hellsinger is coming to both PS4 and PS5 in 2021, that 2D arena shooter Gravity Heroes is coming to PS4 in early 2021, that adventure game ReZero Restarting Life in Another World, The Prophecy of the Throne, is coming to Western PS4s this winter, that platformer Nun Guns Doppelganger Edition is coming to PS4 in the third quarter of 2020, that adventure game Return One-Way Trip is coming to PS4 in, on September 29th. That roguelite action game Neon Abyss is coming to PS4 on July 14th. That action game Kojin Sword of Rewind is coming to PS4 later in 2020. That platformer Reggie, his cousin, two scientists, and most likely the end of the world is coming to PS4 at an unknown point in time. That Chinese RPG Immortal Life is coming to PS4 at an unknown point in time. That top-down action game Devil Slayer Raksaxi is coming to PS4 at an unknown point in time. That cooking game, Cook, Serve, Delicious 3, is coming to PS4 this fall. <laughs> that hack and slash game, Neptunia Virtual Stars, is coming to PS4 in 2021. And that action RPG, Tower of Time, is coming to PS4 on June 23rd. Gamatsu also reports that RPG Ari and the Secret of Seasons PS4 release has been delayed from July 28th to September. And that my 2019 game of the year, Felseal Arbiter's Mark, is getting DLC called Missions and Monsters on June 23rd. Website Push Square reports that Supermassive's The Dark Pictures Anthology Little Hope has been delayed from later this summer to the fall of 2020. That strategy game Transformers Battlegrounds is coming to PS4 on October 23rd. That the remake of 13 is coming to PS4 on November 10th. That action RPG Mortal Shell is on pace for a 2020 release on PS4. That tabletop RPG-inspired Werewolf The Apocalypse is coming to PS4 at an unknown point in the future. And that action RPG CrossCode, which looks fucking awesome, by the way, it's coming to PS4 on July 8th. Everyone go look up CrossCode. Look great. And finally, the website also reports that skating game Skater XL has been slightly delayed for release on PS4 and will now come out on July 28th. Wow. Whew. That was a lot. a lot of games. All right, Chris. So there are new game releases this week. We actually have a list of the games, unlike last week, as they're working the PlayStation blog kinks out. However, it's only a list of game names. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you and I should go back and forth and just make up what these games are. How do you feel about that? <laughs> sure, yeah. All right, so you can begin with Beyond Blue. Beyond Blue comes to PS4 in, in a world of uh, black and white. Uh, I sure miss blue. Mm. Let's f- let's f- find all those shades, huh? Oh, <laughs> that's pretty good. I like that one. God, Demon's Tier please. Plus comes to PS4 and Vita. Demon's Tier Plus is a action RP, no, a dungeon role-playing game. That allows you to climb the ranks of demons in the underworld so that you start at the lowest end and then you go up and up and raise up the tiers Mm -hmm. all the way to the top to Lucifer himself. All right, cool. Depth of Extinction comes to PS4. It's uh, you. You play as a lonely dinosaur contemplating whether or not he deserved it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's a visual novel in the style of uh, uh, something else. Fair enough. Epic Dumpster Bear 2. Oh, man, I wish I knew, I wish I knew what that actually was. That sounds ridiculous. Uh, this is about the, uh, the Capitol Hill exclusion zone in Seattle right now. Oh, Epic nice. Dumpster Bear 2. Evan's Remains <laughs> comes to PS4. You know this one has a depressing... Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Evan's Remains comes to PS4. You, you are playing table tennis, but oh no, a, a stray ball impales your friend. 
Evan and you have to burn him and scatter his remains at his favorite uh, Dave and Buster's locations throughout uh, the U.S. Oh, interesting. That sounds good. Fault Milestone 1 comes to PS4. This one is about earthquakes and you're on the San Andreas Fault and you fall in and lo and behold, that's the beginning of the adventure. That's it's Fault wild. Milestone 1. Fire Chief comes to PS4. Can you lead your fire to safety? Uh, find out in in this uh, in this physics based puzzle platformer battle royale. Uh, Interesting. <laughs> fire Chief sounds wild, man. Yeah. Uh, Firefighters comes to PS4, much like Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. This game is ironic because you are not the firefighter, but the fire starter in Firefighters on PS4. Jump King comes to PS4. The King of Jumps has summoned you, Legless Tim, to be a part of his brand new platforming adventure. Learn to use the force of just your torso to jump between cavernous pits and lowly plat- and, and low pl- platforms and stuff. That's, that's Jump King for PS4. <laughs> <laughs> Let's create Pottery VR comes to PSVR. <laughs> This is a this is a red herring because uh, it's not actually a pottery creation game, but a murder simulator. Yeah. And it's a ten dollars. Let's create pottery VR on PSVR. And when you tune it in uh, to your PSVR, you'll find that you're actually murdering people. Hotline Miami style. It actually has nothing to do with art at all. That's let's create pottery VR. Uh, Pity pit comes to PS4. (laughs) Um, I made this. This is this is me. This is this is just this is just a, a, a. an MP4 of my day that I have oh, set for enough. sale on the PlayStation Network. Pity Pit. Project Warlock comes to PS4. This is about the male perspective of the Salem Witch Trials. We don't <laughs> often hear about the Warlocks. We only hear about the witches. So go back to 17th century America, 18th century America, and enjoy Project Warlock on PS4. Pushy and Pulley in Blockland comes to PS4. Uh, you play as two brothers, Pushy and Pulley, who somehow don't get along. And it's your job to fight the 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 bad guy. And his name his name is Leave Things Alone, damn it. Oh, uh, sounds, a, sounds a little bit like Ibn Ab. Yeah, back in the a little day. bit. That's Pushy and Pulley in Blockland. <laughs> Rooftop Runner comes to PS4. This is about a suicidal man. Uh, that's trying to uh, kill himself, but he keeps jumping from rooftop to rooftop and the buildings <laughs> in his uh, neighborhood are too close together. So he can't fit between them in order to plummet to his death. That's rooftop runner uh, PS4. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Super soccer blast uh, comes to PS4. You've played soccer, but now imagine it with blunderbusses. Uh, Whoa. Super soccer blast takes first person combat to the to the world of football. Uh, this this winter on uh, Super Soccer Blast PS4 comes out today, but also this winter for some reason. <laughs> Warborn comes to PS4. This is another of the generically named War Something games uh, that no one cares about or want, will want to play. That's all you need to know about Warborn on PS4. Yoga Master comes to PS4. What what do you do when you can't bend anymore? You, you you try and you try and bend yoga masters <laughs> east memories of Celsa comes to ps4 i actually know what this game is so i can't make it up it's a port of the vita action role-playing game pretty good on vita 
So go check it out. The only serious answer I'll give today. <laughs> uh, and uh, last one, Zechariah Pinball comes to PS4. You know your friend Zach. What an asshole, right? Just hit him. Hit him in a bunch of holes and watch him get knocked around in a, in a glass tomb. Uh, fuck that guy, Zach Zachariah Pinball. <laughs> fuck that guy. <laughs> we we just lied for like ten minutes. <laughs> uh, I know that was awesome. So go check out those great games coming to PlayStation. By the way, if you don't give us a huge yeah. a huge disservice that there's just no drop for these. It really sucks. No, I know. I I agree. That's why I was about to say the same thing. I'm like, if you don't give us a drop, Sony, then we're just gonna keep making everything up. Try and stop us. <laughs> All right, let's get into reader questions, listener questions, listener question, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. We have six of them to wrap the show up. We'll move quick because we've been going pretty long today. Yeah, yeah. Domenico Smarto wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, my question is primarily for Chris. Okay. Over the past couple of episodes, he's talked a lot about how older generation multiplayer games were more fun to play. I'm curious if he's ever given Overwatch a shot. It has maybe the most addictive gameplay loop I've ever played in a competitive FPS there's also no tedious grinding for weapons and a never-ending evolving world. It just goes for raw fun. Also, each hero feels unique, so you get completely different gameplay experiences depending on who you pick, which gives the game endless replayability. Thanks, and keep making Fridays great. Hmm. Chris, have you ever played Overwatch? I did. I, I played Overwatch for, I think, like a solid like three to six months back when... Back when it was kind of back when it was initially like released properly, like I know it was in beta for a pretty pretty long time, uh, but yeah, I played it with my roommates a little bit. Uh, I got decent at it. it. It was it was okay. It's it's definitely one of those games though that feels like a developer's first attempt at making a first person shooter. I'm really particular about my FPSs. It's like arguably the genre that I feel most. I feel like I ha- I feel like if I was put in charge of making an FPS, I could make a really damn good one. And I, I don't know if I could say that for any other genre at all. So I'm really finicky about my my preferences in that genre. And, you know, there are a lot of gameplay experiences to be had in Overwatch. There's a lot of different play styles that uh, are facilitated by every unique hero. But in that kind of wide variety of gameplay styles... There, there is none that feels particularly stand out, or none that feels particularly on point. All the melee characters feel really don't feel as good as a melee character in a melee focused game. All of your like precision characters don't feel as good as a, a precision character or a precision FPS would feel. Nothing quite hits the right mark of quality, even if everything is kind of fresh and fun and interesting. It's a good game. For sure, it's just not necessarily what I look for in a in a competitive FPS. I don't necessarily like games that dictate my role for me. I don't like being like, oh, I have to be the turret guy. Okay, I gotta be the I gotta be the healer guy. I prefer to kind of be equally capable as anybody else, but also use my skill and my knowledge of the game to lend support to my team and just sort mm. of I, I prefer that. And Destiny is is kind of like that too, where like all all of the uh, all of the classes in Destiny have their own like abilities. Some are support, some of some are lethal, but they all have like the same base kind of play styles, and they all have the same kind of base framework for how combat works. So in that, you get the kind of flourish of different combat roles and ways to feel like you're contributing to your team in unique ways, while also feeling competent and lethal. And uh, that's just kind of my preference for a game that has classes. A solid game though. Like I, I, w- I wouldn't begrudge anybody for liking Overwatch. It's a genuinely pretty good. And there's a sequel coming out, right? So. Well, yeah, that has that ha- that also shares multiplayer with the original. So I'm not sure how that really works. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Really, really strange. Well, 
We'll chronicle that as it as we get closer. A man known only as tall guy wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, hope you're doing well. Been a patron for about two months now. Absolutely worth the five dollars. Thank you. And have decided to take the plunge and leave a comment. So here it goes. I've listened to Colin since P.S. I love you and hear the terms first, second and third party studios every week. And I'll be honest, I'm still not entirely sure what all of them mean. I nod along by myself every time I hear them as if I don't need an explanation. But I finally decided to man up and just ask the question, what is the difference between each of the studios? Thanks so much. And keep pumping out great content. This is a great question. Tall guy. And I'm happy to answer it for you. Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of people out there that will like you. This is very easy for you guys to keep track of. Okay, first party, second party, third party. A first party studio is a team that is owned by a publisher or hardware manufacturer in their own first party. So a Sony first party studio is like Naughty Dog, Sucker Punch, now Insomniac, Polyphony Digital, Studio Japan, Gorilla, Media Molecule, etc. Those are first party games or first party studios making first party games. Second party studios are studios that are independent from Sony's first party, but are still contracted to make games exclusively for the platform. So we talked about Housemark before. They make second party games. Supermassive has made second party games. Quantic Dream has made second party games. Insomniac for 20 years was a second party studio before they were acquired. So basically, when you think about second party, you think about a studio that is independent, can work for anyone, but is paid to make a game exclusively for a console. So like Ready at Dawn making the Order 1886. That's a second party game. Or Bloodborne. Bloodborne, exactly. But I, th- but I think you said it Yeah, but I didn't actually. Bloodborne's another great example. A FromSoft game produced in part by a first party, but made by a second party from software. And then third party studios are studios that are completely independent that make games for everybody. Now, the important thing to remember is that third party games can exist exclusively on your console. So a game like Neo 2 is a third party exclusive or a game like Persona 5 is a third party exclusive. In other words, Sony didn't pay Atlas or Tecmo Koei to make those games, but they still exist exclusively on the console. So it doesn't necessarily third party doesn't necessarily have to do with exclusivity as much as it has to do with funding. So first party, again, owned and operated by the publisher. Second party paid for by the publisher. Third party ubiquitous for everybody. Does that make sense? Yeah, that was, a good, so. that was a good run through, I think. Max Barrow wrote into us, Chris, and said, curious your thoughts on this, gents. What do you think about a system within games where you can use some aspect of the in-game economy, like XP, money, or whatever, to buy trophies from the trophy list? You'd probably limit it to bronze and silver trophies and limit the total number you could buy per game. But let's face it, every trophy list has some annoying trophies that's just going to be irritating. For me, I've beaten God of War on regular and New Game Plus, and I have all the trophies except the Odin's Ravens one. I'm never going to go around looking for those stupid birds, but I've clearly spent the platinum amount of time and effort worth in the game. Go ahead and crush me, Colin. I hate I'm this. surprised you brought that one up, Max. Odin's Ravens is not definitely one of the most difficult ones. The one about beating the fucking Valkyries is the really annoying one. Yeah, I don't like this either, Chris, but I will say there is one game I can think of that lets you do this. And that's why I wanted to bring this up. So Nier Automata has an in-game store where you can buy any of the trophies that you want. That's so weird. And um, I hate it. I don't like the system at all. But I hear you. It would be cool to have like a get out of jail free card for some of these games where it's like, ah, like remember with Titanfall two, we did a let's play where you got me the last trophy I needed in Titanfall two, which was the speed run thing for that. Yeah. That obstacle course, which I was never going to be able to do. I just don't have the skill you have in those games. And it would have been cool. It was annoying because I beat the game on the hardest difficulty level. I got all the Intel. I did everything, but the stupid bronze trophy was keeping me and precluding me from getting the platinum. So it is cool to the idea of having a get out of jail free card 
But I'm not crazy about the idea generally. But Max, this does exist. And at least one other game. I, I'm sure others have examples, but that's the one I can think of. If if they did this, the trophy that is on your list needs to be designated as something that you bought. Mm. Like you. Yeah, a little you, asterisk. Yeah, yeah, like a little. Uh, this guy's an asshole. <laughs> like a little, <laughs> a little button uh, to kind of or, or like maybe have it count like le- like I, well, I guess there's no real. Does it count for anything really? Like percentage wise? Not really. Right. What, what like, a bronze? like a trophy like like uh, I'm thinking about it like in the Xbox ecosystem where like a 50 gamer score achievement would be maybe worth like maybe like 10 if you bought it or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Sure. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I yeah, it depends on the level you're at and on PS4 like a bronze trophy at the level I'm at won't even move your percentage 1%. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, but for someone that's lower in level, it will help them a great deal. But I like the idea of having a little asterisk or like. Maybe it would be like you can get the trophies, but you can't get the platinum once you buy a trophy. You know, like you can get all the trophies. Yeah, yeah. But you that, don't get that platinum. That trophy. would that would be a little bit better for me. Although I, I still think like the whole purpose of a trophy is that like you you earn it. Like that's literally the that's what it that's what it means. You know, so like the thought of like buying a trophy is just sort of feels gross. I hear you. I'm the same way. That's yeah. Near Automata is the only game I can think of that does that. But you guys can write in and let me know if others do as well. Michael Zasa wrote in and said, what's up, CNC? With the supposed release of Persona 4 Golden on PC, it's no longer supposed. I think this is confirmed. Do you think that this is the final nail in the coffin of the Vita? And how do you think this will affect the Persona franchise as a whole now that fans of the series no longer have to purchase a Vita to experience this amazing game? Thanks for everything, and I hope you have an awesome day. All right, so Chris, I'm curious what you think about this. Before I go on about it, it's people seem to forget. So Persona 4 Golden is like a a re reinvigorated version of Persona 4 mm-hmm. on Vita, only on Vita. But people forget that Persona 4 is a PS2 game. So it's not locked to the Vita like everyone's saying it is. You can pl- go play Persona 4 on PS2. And I would imagine a vast majority of people that played the game played it on PlayStation 2. It was a late PS2 release. I don't think it came out till 2008. But it's not locked to Vita the way that people are saying it is. But when I saw this news, I was like, this makes a lot of sense. I'm sure Atlas has been eager for a long time to get this game off of Vita. It is one of Vita's best-selling games ever, so I think it does affect the Vita in some way. But did you see this news, and and what did you think about it? Because Persona 4 Golden is so wrapped up in the Vita ecosystem as like one of the must-have exclusives, and now it's no longer exclusive. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I I'm not sure people are really buying Vitas these days, you know, like just for just to play for Persona 4 Golden. And if they are, it's it's really not that many. I think it makes sense. It's an old enough game that you'd be like, yeah, you know, I just put it on. Put it on PC. If it's on PS2, you know, just just put it on the put it on PC. The fact that it sells a lot on Vita is all the more reason to bring it to a new platform, because if it sells a lot on this really like really strained, really limited platform, imagine how much it could sell on a platform that's available to pretty much anybody with an Internet connection and a hard drive big enough to install Steam on it. Mm. It's just a win win for them. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that as far as what he's signaling, I think that this. Atlas wants and, and it, Atlas isn't the only one you see this with NIS you see this with Xseed and others that are kind of Japanese centric usually PlayStation centric publishers they want to get their games on PC that's where the audience is moving and I think it's smart so when I saw this I think some people were crestfallen about it but I'm like who cares the Vita's dead I love the Vita no one loves the Vita more than Colin Moriarty no one and I think it's just good to make this game more available to, to or available to more people. Yeah. Plus that soundtrack is fantastic. Yeah. You so just, at least you can go listen to that. Just get it out. Like the, the Vita's lived 
several chameleons' lifespans worth of time. So you know, it had its it had its time. <sighs> the Vita will die when I say it's ready to die. <laughs> and I'll just say I'll keep that thing on life support like a vegetable until time comes when I pull the plug. It's just wheezing <laughs> in a hospital bed. It's got no brain waves at all. It's got no no thought. It's just a fucking husk. KB <laughs> dark. KB wrote in and said, <laughs> "Hey, Moo Moo Colin and Mimu Chris." I'd like to piggyback off a discussion you guys had on episode 101 of Sacred Symbols. How much more of the games as a service pie is left? As Chris mentioned, these persistent games require an inordinate amount of time and attention. With the PS5 around the corner, I'd imagine there are going to be many more games in the space announced. What do you think the commercial viability for these games will be? Does Crystal Dynamics Adventures game have even a chance at cultivating a large install base? I've seen a grand total of five people talk about this game online. That doesn't seem to bode well for this game. Thanks. We've talked a little bit about Crystal Dynamics Avengers game. I have a really bad feeling about this game, but I don't know if it's founded in any sort of reality. What do you think, Chris? You're a little more connected to this this world in this yeah, realm. I I would I'm I also don't have a, a great feeling about it. it. It felt when we saw it like it just wasn't ready to be shown. Uh, the gameplay that it's offering doesn't seem to be that, you know, unique or that interesting the the ip is interesting but like the ip is also kind of out of style really like this this probably would have killed after infinity war and pre-endgame but i think in 2020 i i really just don't know how this is going to shake up because yeah like a lot of these games do require a lot of time i'm not really looking to find another game like this you know, I, I have Destiny 2. That's like a game that my friends are all playing. I play it all the time and I like it. I've invested a lot of time into it. I really doubt that there's something that's going to pull me away from it. And I really highly doubt it's going to be an Avengers game. I I have a bad feeling about it. I, I'm not that confident. Yeah, I'm not confident in it either. I might be confident in it from a gameplay perspective, but yeah, yeah, it might be. Fun. This thing has Anthem. This thing has Anthem written all over it to me. I just don't think there's room. Yeah. And like you said, I don't think this game was intended to come out this year or even last year. I think this game got in trouble at some point because it was it was rumored for so long. This game has been rumored forever. And so I don't think the intention was to release it in Q3 2020. You know, I don't I don't know that that was what they wanted to originally do, but I'm detached from Marvel fandom. Mm-hmm. There could very well be millions of people excited for this game, but I, I agree with what KB saying here. I don't see anyone talking about this game at all. Yeah, so we'll we'll see. But I like Crystal Dynamics. I think they're a great studio. I like their Tomb Raider reboot. I hope this game does do well. But I, I mean, I know. think this game probably is is probably going to be decent. But like, I just don't see the reason why it's being shoveled into this live service genre because it just doesn't seem like it needs to be. Well, we'll see. We have a what a few more months until this game comes out. So yeah, we will find out soon enough. And finally, Chris Eric Myers wrote into us and said, "Hey, CNC." I've noticed something about Ghost of Tsushima that I haven't seen anyone talk about that actually makes me excited. The total lack of hands-on preview coverage. Obviously, due to the coronavirus, these kinds of events have come to a halt. And with the exception of some trailers and two gameplay demos, we haven't seen a crazy amount of this game. Well, I'm sure the marketing machine will spin up. This is the first time I can remember where a first party new IP will be going out into the wild untouched until at least review copies are sent out. Do you think something like this can continue? I like the idea of hopping into a game from one of Sony's incredible developers and having a real sense of excitement due to the lack of exposure. Thanks for all your hard work and congrats on the house, Colin. May you continue to build out your compound for your eventual showdown with the federal government. (laughs) Thanks, Eric. I appreciate you. So, Chris, I will say this, that 
I hear what he's saying, but there have been Last of Us previews built off of the final review copies of the game. So it seems like Sony might be more intent on sending out copies of the game earlier and then allowing for a preview cycle moving into the review. And I think that that's might be something we see with Ghost of Tsushima, mm-hmm. although there were hands on demos with The Last of Us Part Two. So it is a little bit different. Yeah. Do you like this idea of going into without because uh, I'm not sympathetic to what Eric is saying simply because you could just avoid everything. You you can have 10 hands on previews with the game, but if you didn't read any of them, then what's really the difference yeah. between you having read it or not read it apart from you just not being aware that they existed at all? Yeah. What do you think? No, I, I agree with that. I, I think it's really only a problem in the case of like where Spider-Man was, because like Spider-Man was just constantly advertised to me everywhere I looked, every video that I watched, every every day on Twitter, there was like some trailer that like showcased something that I really would have liked to see in game for the first time. But Spider-Man is also like a monumentally enormous IP and a just a, a beloved character by millions, millions of people, even without video games being a factor. So it stands to reason that like something like Spider-Man, even with without the even with the absence of a, a hands on preview event, just like over marketing could be a thing for a game like that. But with a game like Ghost of Tsushima, yeah, I, I don't see that game being spoiled in the same way. I don't see that game being marketed in, in the same like uh, too much uh, like overfeeding. Uh, I don't see that happening with Ghost of Tsushima and you could just ignore it. Like you could just not look it up because that's really the only time you're going to see this stuff is when you look for it. Yeah, I'm 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 the same way. I think I I like what you're saying, Eric. I think that it's cool that like we're going in blind as a unit, but I first of all wouldn't expect that to continue. I think there will be preview coverage based on the review build, based on the Last of Us's the Last of Us Two's experience. We don't have the Last of Us Two, by the way. I didn't even ask Sony for it. I'm sick of even bothering with them, but. Yeah, I think that if you want to avoid things, just avoid them. And <laughs> otherwise, I think that I, I mean, I've said over and over again, I, I'm not confident that Ghost of Tsushima is going to be like a blow away game. So we'll we'll find out soon enough. But I got to get through. The, I don't have the bandwidth to even worry about that game right now. We got to get through The Last of Us Part Two, which I'm so over the moon excited about. Can't yeah. wait to play it. But I am glad. I know this sounds like, you know, like, a, you know, like the, the, the meme of the guy like smiling and then there's like the or he's crying, but he has a mask over him. That's like. <laughs> The smiling face, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I yeah. know that this sounds like me with The Last of Us Part Two, but I'm glad that I didn't get the game because I'm moving in the middle of doing all this shit and it would have just been a huge distraction for me. Yeah. So no, I got to sure. say that I'm somewhat thankful because I think that I would have fucked something up. Either I wouldn't have gotten the game done in time for the for the embargo, which almost certainly would have happened, or I would have been like not ready to move into my house, which would have been a big problem. So, so we'll keep an eye out for that. And we'll see what happens with Ghost of Tsushima. Remember, The Last of Us comes out in eight days from when we're publishing this, and then Ghost of Tsushima comes out in July. Mm-hmm. So much to be excited about. Chris, that's all I have for this episode, this robust yeah. episode it's a of long one. Sacred Symbols. It is a long one, but lots to talk about. Pretty excited about the future. Yeah. Personally, looking forward to some of these games, specifically Horizon, specifically Ratchet, specifically that Housemark game. A lot of good stuff. Hopefully, maybe it'll all suck. Maybe it'll all be garbage. I don't yeah. know. We'll find out soon enough. But uh, Chris, thank you for joining me. I appreciate you. No worries. And uh, thank you all out there for joining us here on Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. Thank you so much for your love, your kindness and support. Remember to support us on Patreon if you want early ad free access, the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas and other perks, including Sacred Symbols plus access. Patreon.com slash Collins last stand. We'll see you next time for more Sacred Symbols. Until then, 
Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Richmond, Virginia and Burbank, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. A.G. Rowe, Adam Nix, Ahmad Tamar, Alex Cabrera, Alex Gates, Alan Tremblay, an unofficial controller podcast, Andrew Parker, Anton Kay, Antti Kinnanen, Avery Lewandowski, Azan, Barrett Boswell, Bo Clant, Ben, Betty Ann Moriarty, Bjorn Campbell, Blake Israel, Bloody Fang, Boots, Brad Cooley, Brian Chan, Casual Misfits Gaming, Chad Lewis, Chris Buston, Chris Galvin, Chris Moore, Cody Bradbury, Colin Davenport, Colin Love, Connor Gashian, Corey Wyatt, Damon Weathers, Daniel Diamore, Daniel Margaka, Darren Gardner, Daryl E. Naiman, David Chestnut, David John Finney, Finnegan Wright, Don Lee, Donnie Nolan, Dylan Burns, Enrique Perez, Eric Finkenbeiner, Eric Harden, Galgia, Gamer Filmaholic, George Anthony Nunez, Gerald Pennington, Gio Corsi, Greg Julius, Gregory Slovinsky, Homeworld Hub, Hugo's Desk, Infinite, Isaac Wassman, Jason Pettit, Jackson Lastiqua, Jay Getter, Jeff Pollard, Jeremy Key, Jeremy Shook, Jerome Ferreira, Jesse Owen, Joe McPartland, Joe Finelli, John, John Scholz, John Cordero, Jonathan Reich, Jonathan H., Jorge Palomino, Josh Bushing, Josh Gravelick, Josh Yeager, Josh M., Josh McKinney, Joshua Smallwood, Justin Wagman, Carl Tolman, Keith A. Lewis, Kevin Komaki, Kevin R. Lord, Knight Draft, Kyle Hagel, Lawrence F. Prokop, Lennon Brixie, Lewin Ray Loper, Mad Mock Media, Miranda Grubba, Mark Boggio, Marius Garson Peterson, Martin Beck, Mason Kodalak, Matt Martin, Matthew Perdue, McDog18, Megadet, Michael Gates, Michael Vecchio, Miguel A. Brewer, Mike Wayant, Morgan Ashley, Mubarak, Nathan R., Of Fortuna, Organic Produce, Patrick Harper, Patrick Kelly, Patrick Leslie, Paul Joyce, Peter Reynolds, Petro Rose, Phil Crone, Raul Melendez, Ray Lasia, Richard Heber III, Richter86, Robbie Hensley, Rodney Coleman, Ross Maranka, Ryan Murdoch, Ryan R. Kittredge, Ryan Reeves, Ryan T. Mandel, Saul Balcazar, Scott Lovelace, Sean Chandler, Sean Mason, Shane Rayum, Simon Conception Jr., SLD FMA, Spencer Brand, Stephen Nieder, Taylor Barkley, TB Lightning, Throw7, Toby Schutman, Todd Paxton, Tony Zuniga, Toothless Gibbon, Travis Plymel, Tyler Bello, Tyler Harris, Vexius, William O'Carroll, and Zach Parsley. <laughs> God help us. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.